Welcome to Apologetics Live. We're here to answer your questions and challenges about God and the Bible. Meet your hosts from Striving for Eternity Ministries, Andrew Rappaport, Dr. Anthony Silvestro, and Pastor Justin Pierce. We are live, Apologetics Live, here to answer your challenging questions. Anything you have about God and the Bible, we can answer it right here. You doubt that. Well, take the challenge, go to apologeticslive.com right now, click on the StreamYard link, which is the duck icon, and you can join us and give us your most challenging questions. Just remember, I don't know is a perfectly good answer. This is a ministry of striving for eternity. We are glad to be here. Uh, I will bring in my co-host here, Pastor Justin. How are you? Doing wonderful, brother. How you doing? Good, good. This is your. This is going to be like the last time we see you until next semester, right? It's going to be a while. Yeah. <laughs> so you are in school, and and we get to see pieces of you, uh, or, yep. or part part of the time, I should say. Um, yeah, just a little but, bit. But uh, so so before we get started, I know that um, we're we're going to have John Harrison in a, in a bit, but uh, we have uh, some hellos here. We got Melissa saying hello, Cynthia. Cynthia is saying hello from Ohio, gentlemen. Um, and uh, KT, KT wants to say hi just to you, Justin. Yeah, just me because I'm me. more important. <laughs> yeah, uh, I should I should give a shout out to to Sean. Who, uh, he has uh, become a member on YouTube. It's one way of uh, you can support the ministry. Better way, of course, is go to strivingforturning.org uh, and go to the support page, or just go to strivingforturning strivingforeternity.org slash support. That's a great way to support us because, well, YouTube plays games and sometimes they just take the money that they want. <laughs> so yeah, you were asking them, you were asking there on a, um, a Facebook poll uh, about, you know, some of the headaches and the heartburns people have, you know, doing this, this stuff. And one of mine, as you know, is YouTube. I, I wish we had another source where we could just get everybody over and away from YouTube and Facebook. Yeah. Well, look at this. This is nice. Melissa says, I miss Justin when he's in school. Isn't that Thank nice? Thank you very much. So we got Jason is saying hello, Saints from Ackworth, Georgia. Ackworth, Georgia. All right. We, Absolutely. Rob is in Ohio. We got a number of folks in Ohio. Yeah. What's up with that? Uh, oh, what's this? Uh, someone is saying hello from Ohio and congratulations. Grandpa Justin Pierce? No. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. Nope. Okay. It's true. I'm a grandfather, but I've been a grandfather for nine months. It's just I got to finally see him. That's that's the difference. Um, <laughs> You're a grandpa at conception. Right. Yeah. I was a grandfather at conception. I, I think I've said this here before, but yeah, my my daughter got found out she was uh, pregnant just before Mother's Day. So I called her up and wished her a happy Mother's Day. And she went... But I'm not a mother yet. Yeah, you oh, are. Yes. yes, I am. And I went, yep, that's, that's right. That's so great. <laughs> that's great. All right. So Melissa is asking, is this your house? It's beautiful. I know oh, it, yeah. it, it is beautiful. Um, and uh, it, no, it's not my house. Uh, it, it's a virtual image. <laughs> I'm, I'm right now up in uh, Massachusetts um, at my, uh, so, my daughter-in-law and son's, son-in-law or my daughter and son-in-law's church. 
And so that's why the, the audio, it's got a little bit of an echo here, and I apologize for that. Um, I tried each of their rooms, and uh, this was the one that was going to be work the best. Unfortunately, it's a little echoey, but it's just, you know, bare walls and all. And I figured this it looks be- warm and comfortable. Yeah. I mean, you know, so with that, um, I'm going to bring, you know, as in the news segment, um, what I want to do is I wanted to bring in somebody to talk something special and new. So I'm going to welcome someone new to the, show a, a a good friend of mine clifford cliff how you doing today wonderful man wonderful andrew hey now, cliff how are you doing i i asked cliff to come in because i wanted to talk to I, you know i found it interesting that joe biden announced yesterday that he would like to institute rent control nationally now, I didn't grow up really having a good understanding of rent control and whether it's a good or bad thing, but I've learned it is a bad thing, and I learned it from my friend Clifford. Uh, you can also way, learn it from the book, uh, the movie or the book, 1948. That'll help, that'll help kind of give you an idea of what uh, controlling people's <laughs> lives is all about. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one, one other thing about Clifford, I, I, you know I got to tell the story, Cliff. You know I got to tell the story. It's it's the best story ever. 1984. So just picture the scene. Cliff, Cliff show your shirt. I, I saw you had the your your shirt on. C C C N. Okay, Christian Collegian Network. Uh, that's a ministry Clifford's with, and we've been working together for years. And and they do a one of my favorite outreaches called Repentant Witness in New York City each year. We go and, and witness. We were in missionary housing. Now, here, picture the scene. We're in the lobby of the missionary housing. And Clifford is explaining to me the way things work in, in black churches. And he's saying it really doesn't matter what is being preached. As long as you have the right cadence, people will amen. And I said, no, people got to be listening to what's being said. He said, I could be preaching a nursery rhyme and get an amen. <laughs> and I said, how would you possibly preach a nursery rhyme? And this is no joke. This happened. I wish we had it on video because then I wouldn't always make Cliff have to do this. <laughs> but I won't ask him to do it this time. But Cliff starts preaching Little Miss Muffet in a cadence. And he's like, Little Miss Muffet, she's sad on her company. He's going through. And a woman walks through the lobby and goes, amen, brother, preach it. Oh, wow. And Clifford just stopped and he looked at me and I just put my head in my hands and I was like, I don't believe she just amend Little Miss Muffet. <laughs> Funniest thing ever. <laughs> but uh, say that again, Cliff. I said it's a bad is he breaking up for you? Yeah, it's breaking up pretty bad. Sorry, Cliff. Or is it hey, by the, by the way, while you're while you guys are trying to set set that up, um, so Cliff, you, you're I, I, you've been doing this for a while now, so yeah. so you know uh, Mary Hennett really well. I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I I I, I praise the Lord that uh, I met her at the um, uh, Ark Encounter when it first opened up. Mm-hmm. Uh, she and I and her daughter became really good friends and. 
uh, started staying a lot of communication and I, I was able to get her in contact with Jen. And, uh, so she's been out there and I'll tell you what, that, that lady is such a blessing. You know, she, I just love her all to pieces. Yeah, yes, she is. Uh, she really heralds the gospel. I, I just love it when she, you know, the first couple of times she went up, she was nervous, but then she just became an old pro. Yeah. You know? You know, she's great. She's great on the box, though. You know, great. She she has no fear in going out there and approaching people. You know, so and uh, she has a technique of how she does things. So she she's really a blessing, and real help. So, so. Yeah. now, Cliff, I don't know if you mentioned that you're going to be on here, but I see I see a, a big C from Mr. Andre Goff there. So we we don't usually see comments from Andre. I don't know if he's just watching because he knows. You're here, your partner in crime there. <laughs> so, Cliff, help us to understand, because you really opened up my eyes when you explained rent control and why it's so bad and what it ends up doing to the inner city community. Well, the thing is, you know, like growing up in government-run homes, I mean, basically that's all I knew. Um, you know, government housing was always a part of our life. It always kind of became ingrained and indoctrinated in our lives, you know, that's all we knew. Um, it was so bad that we actually thought that people who owned a home were rich. You know, we would always go to one, you know, go through the one area and call it the rich section because yeah. people actually owned their own homes. But um, things started to change for me when I started looking around and just see, uh, you know, because we grew up in a, a community of fatherless owners. You know, nobody had a father. and um, and I remember a long time ago, you know, an elder, uh, elderly lady, you know, she said to me, son, don't get stuck. Mm. Don't get stuck in here. And I never understood what she was talking about. And then I started to look at the struggles that my mother was going through and trying to get out of the community. And, and what I realized as I grew up and I look back and what I realized that the system was set up basically to suck you in. That's right these cleverly devised uh, uh, traps um, known as compassion, equality, and fairness. Yep. You know, and what was happening was is that as my mom was trying to get out, um, she would work a little bit. She would get a job. Your income, put it this way, your rent was always based on your income, your gross right. income. And um, they would set your rate, your, your rent based on that. Now, if you made a little bit of extra money, they would raise your rent, raise your rent. They had this thing called income, it was called a, a income um, evaluation, where they could come in and evaluate your income. So you could work six months overtime and then, you know, get that advantage, get the extra money for that and able to save and build up a little nest egg to try to get out. But as soon as they came in and did an income evaluation, they would look at the extra money that was made, then they would raise your rate. Yep. Raise your rent. Now the thing is though, you may have lost that that day that they came in, but you're still going to you're still going to pay that that monthly rent. So they would jack up your rent based on your gross income. So it was just trap. You know, they, they suck you in with uh well you're only going to pay fifty dollars a month. You always always pay fifty dollars a month for for electric um and you'll only pay so much amount. But you can't have a father, working father in the home. You know, that's one of the things. You couldn't have a working father in the home. 
You know, if you had a working father in the home, that would really jack up your rate. And they'd also make provisions for somebody else because now that father should be able to take you out of the hood. So that's why you know, that the, 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 the place that I grew up with is just a fatherless community. And, um, you know, you, the thing about it, many people find themselves in difficult situations, you know, unwanted pregnancies, uh, plant closures, a variety of things, you know, it can happen to everybody. And the government just, and, and that's what, it, you know, during that, you know, one may become desperate. And what happens is, you know, people a lot of times were in a desperate situation, they'll find a lead path of resistance. And then we'll always go into the arms of the all welcome. Well, the all welcome. And the government comes in and they say, hey, man, look, we know it's unfair. We know we, we understand your plight. You just come on in. You know, we'll give you a set rent rate that you'll always have to pay. We'll feed you. We'll give you stamps. We'll give you housing. And we'll give you a basic income. So you'll never want, as long as you stay on this system, you know, and then what happens is, you know, through this process, this indoctrinational process, right. you know, that, um, you know, that capitalism is really unfair, isn't it? Look what it did to you. Can you believe that? That's an unfair system. You get this sense of indoctrination. Once you get in, you're stuck in your trap because you can never work your way out. And, and I, I believe that's, that's exactly what a certain class of uh, a political party wants. They want a permanent underclass that's always going to vote. They never want you to get out. What they'll do is they'll make you comfortable while you're in the hood, but they'll never get you out. You know, and that's the whole thing. They'll make you comfortable there. They'll give you swing sets and, uh, you know, they'll um, give you some of the things that will appeal that make your kids happy. Maybe a little government program here and there. So yeah. they I'm comfortable and yeah. you're comfortable in the hood. They'll build houses all around you to make you feel like you have a house, but you never own one. Right. You never own one and you constantly stay in that situation. Trying to get any kind of upward mobility is always corrupt by the hand of the government because they'll come in and do an income evaluation, reevaluate your income, and then you know, jack it up from there. Now you can never leave. Okay, so Cliff, is there in the situations where people get this type of housing, is there an, any incentive to them to to work harder to get you know work you know maybe on weekends get time and a half work overtime you know work a second job? What does that end up doing to their rent if they go do that? Well, if they do that, you know, like I said, you could have income evaluation and they'll jack up your rate based on that extra the extra income that's coming in. So the, the money, the extra money that you get coming in, it's just sucked up by the government, by the extra rent. That's all it is. That's why a lot of people had to hide. I, I know my mother for a fact, she had to hide the extra income that she was getting. Because if they found out that she was making extra money, they would jack up her rent. So, yeah. So, so you go and work harder and all that money ends up going to the landlord or to the government. Right. Right. So it, th this is the thing that I didn't realize is, you know, cause I was, I was always of the impression like, okay, you work harder, you can get out of it, but you actually can't because if you work harder, they just take the extra. So what's the incentive to work harder if you're not getting anything out of it? 
You work harder, so your rent goes up. And now, now, as you said, you lose your job. That rent stays at the higher level. Well, see, that's a mental thing, too, Andrew, because what they do is they do that disincentivization. It beats you down mentally. Yeah. You know, that's what it does. So that you can never achieve. You know, it, 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 I, I tell you, the system is not meant to encourage you. It's meant to discourage you. You know, and. And, and, you know, D, D is saying this, D is saying it seems that the system would encourage dishonesty. Is that, is that what you would find to be true? In, in order to get out, you would have to hide your income, you know, take jobs under the table. Yeah. Start taking jobs under the table. You know, now that's going, how, can you imagine if everybody took jobs under the table, how that affects an overall economy? No more revenue coming to the government because now you're paying people off to the side and there's no... I mean, no Wait, you mean like not re- recording the half a million dollars that Biden earned and didn't pay taxes on? You mean like that, like half a million dollars under the table? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. that that That's not what, what you're talking about. You're not talking about hiding half a million dollars. Oh, I'm sorry. It must be the yeah. $10 million he got from China. <laughs> How do you hide that man when they're sitting on top of documents? You got to move the documents first. Yeah, yeah. actually, we should, we, I, we should, you know. I, I should ask you, you know, uh, Cliff, you you don't have any classified documents in your home. <laughs> okay. All right. Plead the fifth. So, so, and, and we may end up, I, you know, I had told you, we, we may, we have to get you to come on uh, for a longer show because there, there's a lot that um, of insight you have, but I wanted folks to hear what you had to say, Cliff. And I, I just let me plug the, the ministry. It's changeyourcampus.com. If you want to get involved in working with college students going onto college campuses, what they do is they go onto college campuses. They do open air preaching. They do evangelism. They don't do a pizza and, and God night where they don't talk about God and just have pizza. Uh, That's right. They they go in sharing the gospel and then discipling students to share the gospel. Uh, this is a ministry that what they encourage their students to do is when their students are on spring break, instead of going to Florida to party, they go to other campuses that are not on spring break and do open air preaching and evangelism on those campuses. That's what this ministry uh, does so changeyourcampus.com is the website it's christian collegian network um you uh, cliff you and andre are at what college we're at montgomery county community college Which college do you work wh- work at say again montgomery county community college you hear me yeah yeah i heard all right yeah, Montgomery County Community College. Um, yeah, my, real quick, real quick, you do the training as well. You guys, you guys reach out and, and train uh, churches as well. Absolutely. Uh, we're just at uh, about two weeks ago. We were just at a church. That's good. So you know, if you got a university around your can your your church, you need you need to have these guys come in and help help teach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes we we've been facing there, there's our, sometimes there are established ministries that are on the college campus. Yeah. So kind of run into them and they kind of rebuff us. So uh, you're not I mean, talking like crew or anything like that. They wouldn't have any objection <laughs> to you, would you? Yeah, no, no. They, 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 yeah, crew. They, they, you mean the group that doesn't like the name Crusade? So that's the only part of the name they kept. They got rid of the. Well, they don't like the <laughs> name Christ the Jesus. Either, so they took that out. Yeah, yeah. Got to get rid of Christ. Got to get rid of campus. We, we the, 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 
Yeah. Anyway, don't get me started. So <laughs> Cliff, thanks for coming in. Uh, appreciate it. We, we got to get you on for a longer one and maybe then we'll get you to, to uh, preach a, a nursery rhyme for fun. <laughs> All right. So my, I know my Wi-Fi is, uh, is acting up a bit. Uh, what I may have to do, because this will this will actually, I'm going to have to shut off this so you see the boring background that I actually am at, but that may help with with uh, my internet. So uh, what I want to do, uh, I know John is backstage. Real quick, John, if it's okay, you can give me a head nod because I'll be able to see you. if it's okay if we answer one question before you come in. Okay, we had we had Jacob here. He came in early. So, Jacob, welcome to Apologetics Live. I think this is your first time on, right? It is. Thanks for having me. All right. And so, um, you. Oh, I can't believe I just did that. I had I I had my logos up and I just closed it. <laughs> and you have a question I, that I need my logos up for. So, all right. Why don't, if you could ask the question that you had, and uh, while I bring my Bible software up. Yeah, um, I guess I'll try to make it as quick as possible with my uh, leading into the question, but it was about John 15, um, specifically John 15, 2, um, and the word takes away. So John 15, obviously it's about Christ being the vine and the fa- uh, Father being the vine dresser. Um, and in verse 2 says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. It goes on to talk about how the branch cannot bear fruit without him. Um, And then he goes down in verse six and says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Um, A lot of my question is revolved around verse two when he says every branch in me. So uh, I am a Calvinist. So um, reading through the book of John, when you get through John 6 and John 10 and you see the security all the time talked about when you first read this verse two, it kind of took me back. And I was like, how are the branches in him? And then how are they being taken away? And then you see verse six um, and you see it's if they don't abide in him, they're thrown away. So it seems to kind of to me was kind of seeming like two different groups of people. Um, so I started looking into my lexicon and I noticed that there are different translations of that word takes away. Um, and there are a couple that give you this idea of lifts up or bears up. Um, and I was wondering why every translation translates it as takes away. Um, I don't know if it's contextually, I don't know if it is, um, something in the Greek that I don't understand. I'm not, you know, fluent in Greek or by any means, um, barely know any of it. Um, So that was really my question that maybe from a Calvinistic perspective, how do we deal with that verse if it really means takes away? How are they in him and being taken away? Or is it a problem with the translation of the Greek? Like I I believe in the inerrant word of God, but I do believe that it's as it was originally handed out, not our, you know, English uh, translations of it. I think that there can be some uh, differences in translation. Um, so that was really my question. Do you know of anything there that would make you lean towards uh, takes away? Like, is it verse six or do you see verse six and verse two is talking as the same group or a different group? Um, yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, so first off with the word, I'll first deal with takes away the, the word 
has a pretty good range of meanings. It means take away, take up, pick up, raise, lift up. Um, that's the 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 range that it has. There's a couple other usages of it, but the main idea of it is is taking picking something up to take it away. Um, the real issue is not so much uh, the taking away of this passage, but more as we look at this, it is part of the thing. Let me back up a second and just say this: part of the issue is people think that if if Christ or or someone is speaking in a way where he seems to be speaking to Christians, that he's speaking to genuine believers. This is what causes a lot of people to have trouble when it comes to Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, a lot of passages like this. People want to say, oh, you can lose your salvation because what ends up happening is um, you, you end up having people who are saying you can lose that salvation. Well, if you look at most of the, you know, most of what you see, Jesus, people will say Jesus spoke about hell more than heaven. And that's actually true. People will say that Jesus spoke about money more than heaven and hell combined. And, and that's true. But Jesus spoke about hypocrisy more than heaven, hell, and money combined. So the thing is, is that he's very often talking to people, Pharisees, who think they're righteous. He doesn't say they're not, but they're not, right? He, he'll say, oh, physician, heal yourself. He, he'll, he'll assume what they're saying and then play off of that to, to put out their hypocrisy. Now, that is what you end up having here. I, th- I think what you have here is I believe that you have two different groups of people. You have Israel and the church. So I think that what, the way that I, my understanding of this is that he's speaking to, to those who are, uh, who are being plucked away being Israel and being grafted in is the church. And this is something that he has said multiple times, and yet disciples had a hard time understanding it, because in that in their culture, that would have been like the biggest anathema you could think of. And so he kept teaching that point. So I, I think what you end up seeing here um, is the fact that you know, he's he's trying to say here that there are those who claim to be of the vine, to be they claim even to be like to abide with the father, but they're they're not. And and that's the pruning process. He's gonna chop them off. And so he, you know, those are the, those are those who profess to be believers, but they're not. And so I don't think that he's speaking here of of believers that he prunes. Okay, so he's not yeah. taking away believers. So let me throw one thing in. So if you follow the context of this, you have to actually go back to uh, uh, John fourteen twenty two. Judas Iscariot, or Judas, not Iscariot, um, said to him, "Lord, what then has happened?" and that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world. So he's talking about those he those are his and and those that are not. So exactly what Andrew was just saying. Jesus then goes on this long discourse to explain the difference between those who are those who are truly his and those who are truly not. And and the vine 
the, the vine metaphor here, as he's talking about, as he's discussing, he says, I am the true vine and you are the, and you are the branches. If there's, there's a qualifier, if you abide in me, right? So there's the, the, the living branches and the dead branches. So what would a, a dead branch look like? A dead branch looks like Judas Iscariot. A dead branch looks like a professor who is not a possessor of true salvation. Uh, a, a dead branch looks like one uh, we see it in churches all the time. They think they're alive in Christ, and yet there's going to be a, t- a time when they're going to be cast out into into the fire because they never were truly alive, even though they said they were part of the branch, even though they because they've never had the actual part of salvation. And and so that's what he's he's juxtaposing here. And yeah, you could actually apply that to Israel as well, the unbelieving por- portion of Israel who. Uh, they were not believers, you know, and, and you have to really think in John, he's sp- specifically talking to the, the Hebrew people at the time. And so that's what this discussion's really directed to. So can, can I ask a little bit of a follow-up there? Just one. Well, you just did. <laughs> you want to ask another? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I see all that for sure. Um, so would you say that, when he says every branch in me, this isn't an in me kind of like when he, he gives the idea of in him. Um, Cause the way that, the way that I was working through that, I got the whole, you know, those who don't abide, those are the ones who are cast away. I was, I was having more of the problem with, because of looking at the translation, because they're in him, because they're in him. And he says, if, and I think verse, mm-hmm. uh, where's it at? Well, I, he ends up saying that all the branches in him do produce fruit. Yeah, so that that was where I was having trouble. If he goes to say that if well, the branches are in him, so, they so, will produce, and then he at the beginning says that. These yeah, so let's let's look at this. Yes, yeah, so let's look at this. He says, "I am the true vine." So he's speaking of a vine. Yeah, my father is the vine dresser. So his so he's saying the father is the one that's going to do the pruning. Mm. He's saying he's the vine. He's saying every branch in me. So he's speaking of a branch attached to a vine. He's using the imagery of it. Yeah, right? it's imagery. So every every branch in me. Now notice later in verse 4, he's going to say abide with me. But these are ones that are just like they're just in the vine. These are branches that are in the vine. So, when, so let's, let me say when it comes to hermeneutics, when we use, when we see parables, um, what we got to do is say, what's the main thing it's trying to teach? The Where many people get into trouble with parables. If you want a perfect example, look at Leighton Flowers. He loves parables because he takes them and starts reading into them things that they never said. Yeah. And <clears throat> what we have to do is ask, what's the main point of the parable? And that's all, that's it. We don't go beyond that because that's the main point. So the main point he has here. <clears throat> and so you, we're not trying to figure out all the details of it because that's not the purpose of a parable. So he's saying he's using the illustration of a, of a vine that has branches that are natural to it, but they're dead. They're, they're, or dying. And so the father who's the vine dresser comes and, and prunes them, cuts them off. And, you know, um, Tom here had said, when you prune a fruit tree, yes, it removes branches that are of no use and you prune them to produce more fruit. And, and that's what 
is is happening here. He's using the illustration of cutting off dead, useless branches so that the vine will be more fruitful. And just so, so that you can clarify that uh, on this point of the branches, what's another name for the branches? A disciple, right? So I, <clears throat> I, I, for in this context, a branch that's in Christ is a disciple, right? Okay, so Jesus had how many disciples following him around from time to time? At, at the max, maybe 10, 20,000, but they fell away. Were they true disciples? No, they were not true disciples. They were, they were conditional disciples based on what Jesus was giving or what they approved of. They were not his disciples. And even, he even turned to his, his last few and he said, will you, will you believe me as well? And Peter said, Lord, where are we going to go? You're the only one has, that has the key to eternal life. They were true disciples. And the, the point being here is that true disciples don't fall away. False disciples or conditional disciples will, and the the branches are are just the same the same way of saying that same analogy. I hope that helps. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you go ahead, Andrew. So, so, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so basically, what I think he's trying to say is what is difficult for these you know these early disciples is the idea that. Jewish people would be cut away from, you know, from, I mean, they think of themselves, I mean, even today, anyone who knows my testimony, uh, when when I heard the gospel, I literally said to the guy, you know, he's telling me about Christ. I said, that's great for you, but I'm God's chosen people. I'm in like Flynn. You're raised to believe that your Judaism saves you. And so the idea of Jewish people being cut off from God is like an unthinkable thing. And and so he's explaining this in the illustration of a vine that he, you know, this is what's going to happen, guys. You're going to see the Jewish people being cut off and, and a new group is going to, new branches are going to be grafted in. Right. Because we truthfully, when you prune, you don't graft in new ones. You just prune the bad ones and let new, new sprouts grow. Um, Yeah. I guess, I guess where I was coming from was, if, if that word was not translated as takes away and it was translated as lifts up or bears up in one of those ways, the way that I thought that it potentially could be translated was that being in him is he's the one that's going to cause you to produce the fruit in the, the first place, right? Being yeah. in him causes that fruit production and the ones that are already um, bearing fruit because of him, he prunes so they produce more fruit. And then I was reading six initially as a different group of people, those who completely don't abide in him versus what happens when you are in him. There are people that he causes to bear fruit and people. Yeah, he well, two and, two and six, you probably want to read together. I mean, well, yeah, so, that was my question initially was. Yeah. So, so think of it, think of it this way. And then we're going to, we're going to bring John and actually before you go, I'm going to bring John and see if he has any insights that he wants to add to this. Cause he might, and he, he, he may have a very different view than me. I don't know. So, um, but you know, what, what you have is you have a vine that has branches on it. That's, that's the illustration. The vine's there. It has, it has branches. Some branches are growing and healthy and some are not. And some are going to be pruned and then others grafted in. And so what he, he's trying to communicate is that there's going to be groups of people that are going to be cut out 
and others that are going to be brought in. And that's the work that the father is going to do to the vine. And so I think that this is Israel and the church. Um, granted, I, I'm sure there's some who, who are going to go, oh, it's just because you're dispensational. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think that's what he's, he's trying to say. Okay. So yeah, let me, I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring in John Harris here and uh, John, hey, I John. want to give you a chance. To, you know, hey, um, welcome. Welcome to the program. First time we've had you on here in Apologetics yeah. Live. So we, we appreciate that. Thank you. I apologize um, for my I'm going to give you an introduction in a bit. Yeah, no, no, no. That, that's good. We're, we're, my internet's not too good either here, but um, so I didn't know if you, if you had anything you wanted to add to. Well, know, I, to Jacob's I, question. I, I'll be honest, perfectly honest. So I, I, I was in and out. I was uh, posting the link for this on my socials, and so I didn't hear the entire uh, exchange. Uh, but I no think problem. whatever Andrew said is orthodox. <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> Don't trust Andrew. Always, always look to him. the Bible. <laughs> yeah. So, so is that is was that helpful, Jacob? Yes, it was. I really appreciate it. And and by the way, come right. back on anytime. And if you have more questions, you know, feel free. We're we're all, the door's always open, so feel free. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, mold that around in your head for a little bit, and if you say, "Hey, you know what? You guys are are, are lunatics," <laughs> come back in, and we'll we'll look at some more of it and and try to dig in deeper. So, all right, sounds good. I appreciate it, guys. All right, thank you. All right, so, um, <laughs> so. Uh, let me, let me introduce to us our, our guest here, John Harris. John, um, I got to know of John after I did two episodes on my rap report on Al Mueller. And everybody was, was thinking or assuming that John and I were discussing Al Mueller. Because I guess at the same time, he had released a couple of, of podcasts about Al Mueller and we both picked up a lot of similarities and we handled it differently, but said a lot of similar things. And I had so many people that mentioned it. I'm like, I got to go check out who this John Harris guy is and see what he said about Al Mohler. And <clears throat> sure enough, there was a lot of similarity. And I started listening to more of Conversations That Matter, which is John's podcast and realized, man, this guy is right on on so many issues. Um, we got to meet the first time that I know of, at least at Shepherd's Conference, where I got to meet you, John, and your dad, uh, who I, I like him as, as much as well. I've, I've got to listen to some of his sermons. Um, and so I just, you know, as we've gone, I've noticed you and I independently without communicating have hit some of the same topics <laughs> over times on this show and your show. And you're, you, um, You've done a lot on the area of social justice. I think that's where you're probably most known for. You you have a book right. out on the subject. Um, a few of them, yeah. Yeah, I've got yeah. that one. When, one. So, uh, when social justice uh, comes to church. Oh, that's the first one. Yeah, this is the second. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm not familiar. Which, which one's that one? Uh, this one's kind of a basic rundown of social justice and how it conflicts with Orthodox Christian Christianity and, and social justice. Okay. Yeah. So... I'll have to pick that one up. Yeah, we actually um, uh, wrote some uh, multiple papers on uh, on social justice and and whatnot for seminary. And uh, I actually the first time the first time I'd ever saw you, 
you actually had a shirt on and it said something about social justice on it. And I was like, Oh no, not another warrior for social justice. <laughs> I was like, no, please. No. So, and I started, I started looking at your stuff. And I was like, no, he's legit. <laughs> so, so this is going to be, this is random. And, and I don't know if this will spark any memories or not, but um, actually Justin, we met, I, and I'm just remembering this as I uh, signed on to the podcast. And I think, 2011 at a deeper conference in Louisville or no, not Louisville. Sorry. Uh, near the creation museum somewhere. Covington, Kentucky. Yeah. Oh, and and we went, Andrew, you were there. We did the, um, yeah. uh, Oktoberfest and all that. That's right. Yeah. So I, I tried to open every day. Oktoberfest. Yeah. So I, so we actually met first there. So wow. uh, Small world. Good memory. Man, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, it made it a big impression on me. I'd never opened air preach before. And the first time I'm doing it is at an Oktoberfest, and a drunk guy came and pushed me. And I thought I was going to get into a fight. And I was like, wow, I guess this is, you know, it's <laughs> what you're supposed to do. Oh, I was so, I was up there, and a guy came up and pinched me, you know, right in the midsection there, or well, uh, upper midsection. He pinched me twice. And the second time, a police officer came over and grabbed him and pulled him in, and, and put him in jail. Oh, I mean, that, yeah, because really? I mean, wow. yeah, he pinched me twice. It hurt, and I wasn't going to fight the guy. I'm right there, open air preaching. So, man, this is I, awesome. I think that yeah. that may have been the event. I, there was a, I think it might have been that event. I can't remember now. I had a guy who, who, there was a police officer standing right behind the guy, and this guy threatened to kill me. Oh, and wow. the police officer went to step in because he didn't know if the guy was serious. The guy actually not realizing he was a police officer when the officer tried putting his hand on him, pushed him away. And so then the officer was like, okay, that's it. Like, and yep. so he searches the guy, finds a whole bunch of drugs on him. <laughs> and, and his friend is, is like pleading with me, like, you know, to, to like talk to the officer to let him go. And the officer goes, he's arrest for drug possession. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it was like, I'm like, you know, it had nothing to do with me at that point. <laughs> never bothered an evangelist again. Yeah. <laughs> so, so John, although you're you're known for social justice, I have gone into more trouble. There's two people that when I mention in negative light, I get into more trouble than any other names. Beth Moore and Tim Keller. And Tim Keller. Tim Keller. Huh. And I have, I mean, there are people who love Tim Keller so much they they can't handle any criticism on him i mean i've i've run into people where i try to explain to them tim keller teaches socialism no he doesn't <laughs> i mean i've heard him openly yeah. he he teaches all the pre- like we should be giving you know to everyone equally so everyone should have i mean it's like when when i would say that he he believes in evolution you know, theistic evolution, people will deny that. And I go, but like, now you've played clips of this. And, and so I was like, you know what? You've done a bunch of research. You you did, I think, three shows or was it four on this, on Conversations That Matter? And Tim Keller, I've done a lot more than that now because he. there's this book, I don't know if you've seen this, called Engaging with Keller. And um, it's out of print. It was written in 2014, but it goes through, I think, eight issues and um, one of them, it, so this is before social justice became widespread and known. So there is a chapter that's similar. It's about the church's mission, but the other stuff is about the Trinity. It's about his view of hell, his view of sin, his hermeneutics, all that kind of thing. 
And, uh, and I've gone through uh, every chapter but one now and given a summation of it on the podcast since it's out of print. And uh, so um, the people who support me have access to my PowerPoint and I have all the quotes in the scripture and everything right there. So that was, I think I did that though recently. Um, like mm-hmm. I, I, I want to say I started in October or something and, and I uh, did it all throughout December. And so um, I'll finish it up probably next week. But, um, but yeah, so if you were looking before that, you're probably right. There were probably like three videos and now there's probably like 10. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, and, and I'm going to uh, let Justin know, Justin, I know my internet keeps coming in and out. So if at any point I disappear, just take over. Um, <laughs> the rapture we'll, we'll yeah. have we'll have a lot to talk about so <laughs> yeah um so so let's let's first deal with the the question uh who is tim keller because some folks may not be familiar with him. um you know I, i'll give the high level um actually let's see if i you know i uh, let me see if i still have this up so i i i, I ended up doing this i've been playing with this new thing uh, it's an AI tool that, oh, has gone, that it yeah. goes through all the internet. It goes, it, this tool goes through all the internet. It's called, um, oh, I got to look it up. It's, it's chat GPT. Yeah. And so this is something that's, that this is what they said about Tim Keller. And so far, it seems like much of it's accurate, but Tim Keller is a Christian pastor, theologian, and author. He is the founder founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, a position he has held since 1989 until his retirement in 2017. He's also the chairman of Redeem Your City to City, an organization that helps plant and develop gospel-centered churches in cities around the world. Give some more stuff, but that's that's what he's, he's a Presbyterian pastor in New York City, and I think what gets him known is when, if you can get a big church in New York City, that gets attention. Yeah. You know, Um, but he's in New York City with all the liberals. And I think that, you know, it'd be an interesting study for someone to do a comparison between Tim Keller and John MacArthur, both of them men with large churches in cities, right? but you end up seeing how I think Keller has been influenced over the years by his culture where MacArthur stood up to the culture. And, you know, I would obviously say MacArthur is on the right side, <laughs> but um, so let, let's, what do you, what is your interest first? What got your interest into looking into Tim Keller? I had a lot of friends recommend Tim Keller resources to me, as you probably have as well. He's so popular. And I was part of a church plant, and uh, it was a church plant slash college ministry in a college town near me. And they were using Tim Keller, uh, a video series that Redeemer, I guess, had put out. And I hadn't really read him. I, I didn't know much about him. People had just recommended him. And so I started watching this and... I didn't immediately have red flags, but I knew something was just off about this guy and I couldn't maybe put my finger on it and fast forward going to seminary and uh, seeing how many guys just um, wanted to be like Tim Keller and thought he was the model. 
and and then of course social justice um, stuff started happening, and I noticed it in I think 2018. Uh, well, 2017 actually really hot at, at seminary, and 2018 it was ramping up, and uh, Tim Keller was one of the the major um, players in that, and people were referencing his book. I think it was a 2014 book, Generous Justice. And Every Good Endeavor uh, was another one that has some social justice type language in it. And so I decided to start reading them. And so I read Every Good Endeavor. I read uh, Generous Justice. And I just thought to myself, oh, my goodness, (laughs) this is terrible. This is poor hermeneutics. It's it's socialism light. I didn't even know what to think after that of the people who had recommended Tim Keller to me because I thought, well, surely they must not have seen this because this is terrible. And many of them had. That was actually one of the books that they they liked. And then um, so after that, I was helping with a documentary, um, Enemies Within the Church, and they were going across the country trying to advertise this documentary. And I traveled with them a little bit. And one of the guys um, who was doing some research for the documentary, Trevor Loudon is his name, is an expert on communism and socialist operations. And he has a website called KeyWiki and it has all these guys from like, I think thousands of guys that are communist operatives that he's just tracked. And well, Tim Keller was one of the guys that he knew a lot about. And he he said, well, you know, he was really enamored with the Frankfurt school. And I was like, wait, what, what? And he, yeah, he says this in his book, reason for God. And you go to the, so I started reading the introduction for reason for God. And I'm like, sure enough, he want, he, he's talking about how he was attracted to critical theory. And so, um, I know I'm, I'm waxing long on this, but I'll I'll land the plane. I decided to, when I was writing social justice goes to church, I was starting to seeing, uh, see a lot of connections with Keller, especially with Richard Mao. And I just decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to get to know Tim Keller. I'm just going to research him for, so for a straight week, I did nothing really hardly at all, but read Tim Keller sermons. And, um, I wish I had this AI tool that you're talking about. It might've saved me some time, but, uh, I, I had to do the, uh, ground level work and reading his books. And, um, that's where I wrote the last chapter or the appendix, I guess, for social justice goes to church, uh, about Tim Keller. And so it's his bio. It's, how he, uh, if you want to say got woke, you could say the, the, that the modern way, but they didn't use that word back in the late 60s. You could just say how he w- became radicalized and uh, how he's really been radical his whole way through in some ways. And uh, his whole conversion even is uh, predicated on this teaching from Tom Skinner at Urbana. Uh, it was InterVarsity's ministry in 19, I think, 70. And in that speech, because I've read it, it's a, it's a one of these big speeches that influenced evangelicalism. Uh, he essentially says that there's two gospels, right? You have, and then they're both incomplete. You have the fundamentalist gospel, and then you have the social gospel. And what we need is to wed them together. And Tim Keller says, "Well, he, I'm already a campus radical, and I was attracted to the the new left stuff, and then I'm finding out that inner varsity is promoting." Uh, this teaching that will allow me to keep all those new left ideas and merge them with Christianity. And so that was appealing to him. And that's where he was um, supposedly converted. And, uh, and, and so then he goes to um, seminary. Well, actually he goes to, to, 
you know, this is in college at Bucknell University when he gets involved with InterVarsity, but then he goes to seminary, then he goes to Westminster. And in each place, there's someone else that he meets that impacts him. So you have uh, Elward Ellis, uh, who convinces him he has basically what we call today white privilege, that he was racist, even though he didn't know it. And this blew him away and him and his wife. And then he gets um, connected with Harvey Kahn at um, uh, Westminster. And he, uh, he he is enamored with Harvey Kahn's view of the city. Harvey Kahn thinks, you know, everything started in a garden, but it ends in a city, which means that for some reason we have to focus on cities and they're very special and Christians should have a unique mission to go and reach cities. And he, uh, he also adopts this missiological um, philosophy uh, based upon really what would amount to a liberation theology view. Um, They call it the hermeneutical spiral, but that you have to contextualize the gospel. And what that means is in the context of an urban environment, you ask different questions about the text of scripture if you're living in this particular context and it's going to uh, render a different um, different kinds of sermons, different ministries. And so Tim Keller has created a new model for how to reach postmodern urbanites in blue cities. And it's supposed to be the path forward for everyone. And that's why I think they like him. That's why even Southern Baptists who don't share his theology, uh, like J.D. Greer, is constantly quoting him. Uh, because they they think that this is the formula. This is what's going to work because Christianity's dying. And, but Tim Keller seems to be making something work, even in a, a blue city. So that's that's been my fascination and some of my study. So let's deal with some of the some of the issues because you brought up a lot on conversations that matter, which I, I do recommend folks to to download and, and subscribe or follow that podcast. Uh, I should say follow the podcast, and then then you have uh, you know way for people to support you. <laughs> so, so subscribe there. Um, but uh, let's start with the, let's start in easy, and then get to to more complex. I made the claim that Tim Keller is a socialist. Do you find there to be support for that? And if so, what would it be? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I think Tim Keller, I, I said socialist light when I was introducing him. I think if someone says that he's a socialist and they're defining it uh, correctly and, and they're, they, they, I don't think they're lying. I don't think they're wrong. I stay away from it. And, and one of the reasons I, I don't, say it the way that as bluntly as you're saying it or directly is because um, that that's one of the things it's like when you're uh, talking to Jehovah's witnesses, right. About, and they're like, let's go to uh, you know John chapter one. You're like, well, yeah, of course they're all trained in John chapter one and all the Tim Keller fans, they're immune to this. <laughs> like it just bounces off them because they are trained to, or at least it's been told to them that people are going to come and accuse Tim Keller of being a socialist. So what I say is, Tim Keller um, has a soft spot for socialism and his escape hatch. The, the reason that he'll and his followers will say he's not a socialist is because he, he has two uh, positions on like everything. And in this circumstance, he'll say things like, well, uh, we are commanded to help the poor. And there's two ways to do that. You can do that through government action and voting for a socialist kind of government. Or you can do it through charitable giving, and, uh, and and either way is okay. 
<laughs> and so that gives him the escape hatch to say, well, I'm not trying to force everyone to be socialist, but I, th I think that's a valid point. So to, to come back to answer it directly, I would say yes, but yes, he is, but he tries to soften it. And um, so I'll give you one quote. That's this is the, the go-to quote. There's a number of them, but uh, in Christianity Today in 2010, he says it's biblical, biblical that we owe the poor as much of our money as we can possibly give away as much of our money as we can possibly give away. So this, and in the context, if you read this article, he's saying that because there's a need, because poor people need resources, it's now incumbent on us to give away as much as we possibly can. It's hmm. our, it's our duty. It's, it's, um, it, it's, and, and the thing is, it's so subtle because I think we would all agree that we should be engaged in charity, but we owe the poor. Right, that's now you're not you're stepping outside of charity. You're saying there's an obligation. Yeah. And once you do that, if, if we have obligations just based on needs, I mean, extrapolate that out. God doesn't save everyone, but everyone does need salvation. So is God not fulfilling an obligation? Is right. So um that's that's one of the big issues with Keller is he makes these kinds of statements, and I have a number of them listed uh in that. Uh, chapter or, or that appendix in social or uh, Christianity and social justice, where he says these socialist light things, and um, and he even talks about redistribution and how that's a valid, redistribution you know, yeah. way to yeah, go that's, about. And that's, that was board. the thing that he preached a sermon that I heard, where he talked about that the the responsibility Christians have to redistribute wealth, not just within the church but within the the government. To yeah. take care of the poor. And I was like, yeah, that's socialism. Yeah, he, he relies on a guy named John Perkins because John Perkins teaches uh, a redistribution. And uh, mm. and he says that basically if we do it, John Perkins. So he has to go to John Perkins because Perkins isn't a socialist because he's a great civil rights leader and evangelical. But Perkins is, though. Perkins does believe that on a certain level and Keller cites him and then says, well, this is the way that we're going to attract unbelievers to Christianity. Um, and it's, it's a logical response of the gospel. So if you're a Christian, you have to redistribute your wealth. And, and again, he does this binary thing though, where it's like it, it, charities could be part of this, but also forced redistribution could be part of this. And he doesn't seem to see a difference between those two, as far as uh, the uh, morality or moral component. I so, was just about to ask you so, if he's if he's missing the difference between the the, the biblical model uh, of how we help and why we help uh, versus the the socialist construct that we are obligated because uh, well not even a socialist construct more of a uh, socialist and a uh, a new construct depending on um, uh, the the racial component uh, you know we're obligated to to, to help based on race and. Uh, income equality or inequality. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I'm wondering. Uh, so, someone had posted in here a minute ago that you know he's he's been uh, heavily involved with Ligonier, and I don't think well, that's the case anymore. No, I no, think no. Yeah, I think it was Alex Wright, and he just was saying that you know just the point that he started off in a good place that doesn't yeah. mean he ended in a good place. Yeah, that, that, and, that's and what I'm saying. Let, let me. I'm going to put this up here to, now while we have it since. Because there's been there's an explosion going on. This is John. This is a carryover from I think the last week or the week before. But uh, 
<laughs> you know, we we have uh, and yeah. ha- how does how do I pronounce his name again? Hefe, was it? I, I forget if I mispronounced it. Jeff uh, Casey. Hefe um, says Calvinists can't defend their faith. God bless everyone. Good night. Well, Hefe, we spent like what an hour and a half giving you scripture, and you spent uh, an hour and a half ignoring us and debating things that none of us believe. We pointed out that none of us believe you. You are arguing a straw man. But if you'd like to come back in uh, another time, we'd be happy to discuss with you again and show you that uh, we're giving you scripture for what we believe and you are fighting a straw man. If you'd like to actually engage with us, because he was saying that that, uh, folks in the channel here are not showing love. Uh, Misrepresenting people, Hefe, is not loving. Just saying. Um, But we, we don't shy away. Um, oh, 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 here he goes. Yeah, you, you're just putting was, that one up. Yeah, I'm trying to pull it up for you. Hold on, let yeah. me get, hold on, I'll get okay. it. <laughs> yeah, maybe you don't understand Calvinism. I love this. This is always the, the great comment when someone can't defend their attacks on Calvinism because they got Calvinism wrong. <laughs> yeah, so we, we don't know what we believe, but he knows better. <laughs> okay, so Hefe, here, here's a simple thing. I was telling you what I believe, and you ignored it for what you believe Calvinism is. You didn't engage with me or Justin or Anthony or Drew, okay? So if you want to come on in and have a discussion on it, you're more than welcome. Uh, we're not next the ones week, that next week. Here. So this week we're talking to John. Well, next, next week, next <laughs> week we're, is going to probably be a full-time. Next week, uh, there is an open letter that was written to Justin Peters. Oh, yeah. Um, Yes, I remember that. We are going to address that next week, and I've already sent out a a text. I'm in. I've been engaging with the the couple that put that message out, and so I hope that they'll they you know they'll come in and see you know to defend what what was said. But uh, but yeah, we're that'll probably take up the the entire two hours next week. Well, let's talk about a pillow since we're into one hour mark. Okay, John, so that's John, we, we have we have a um, uh, sponsor that takes good care of us, and so we we uh, throw out a, a shout out to them. Uh, so, if you don't mind, give us just a second. So, uh, we just just want to introduce everybody to mypillow.com. If you've never if you've never enjoyed the, uh, a comfortable night's sleep in your life, you would try my pillow. Uh, they have very very excellent pillows. They have uh, sheets and and whatnot. Um, they have all kinds of stuff. So if you go to mypillow.com or um, if you call one eight hundred eight seven three zero one seven six, we partner with them. Uh, they they sponsor uh, take care of us. So. Um, we, we have a promo code set up SFE. So if you'll just uh, call them up and use SFE as a promo code, or if you go to mypillow.com and, uh, get all the stuff you want to get just, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of stuff. And then put the (laughs) promo code SFE, you'll save a couple of pennies. I don't know how much it is, but actually, no, they, there's some good discounts they have with their promo codes, which is, which is really nice. That's good. Um, so the, I, I will admit I'm bummed. I'm going to Israel in a few weeks and you know, limited, they limit the luggage. I don't know if I could take my, my pillow, but I will try. Good Our time. other sponsor is Lagos Bible software. So if, if you want to upgrade your Lagos, or if you don't have it and want to get a, a new set, go to, go to Lagos 
dot com slash sfe and you will get five free books to choose on us oh, I so he was going to give you all his those books. are some <laughs> yeah i mean you know we we could discuss who has a larger logos library but we already know that <laughs> i win <laughs> yeah i, I don't I, spend... they, who is a larger <laughs> pillow that's what I want. I don't know. I've, I've got a different pillow. I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I've got a di- I've got several different pillows. So. You're not. You're. You can't <laughs> say that. I have several pillows, but well, actually, there's there they were sponsors because of me, not him. Yeah, it's his fault. Because <laughs> I I travel with my my pillow. I love my my pillow. So, yeah. um, I I I have a I have a my pillow pillow slippers, uh, uh robe towels. I have the so I got a bunch of a bunch of their products, and my wife actually steals them from me because they're so comfortable. The their nightwear, you know, and it, it is good. I, I they're a great product. So that's yeah, stuff. I got their pajamas. That's right. Yeah, I have that too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so so I, I'm trying. I'm trying, John. Maybe you could you can help me. Uh, I'm trying to get someone that is, you have as a sponsor, and that's how I heard about them. Gold Gold River Tea. Oh yeah, yeah. You turn them on to me, and man, that tea is good. I'm not like it is. No, it really is. <laughs> I go. I like the Asian teas, and and I, when I, when I first got, I'm like, man, this tea is expensive. But I discovered this tea is is it's good because like you could reuse the tea bag like five times and it still has flavor. Yes. So it's Did like, a, have like you're Grey? really getting good tea. And I was Did like, you wow, have Earl Grey, just, yeah, yeah. And I don't typically like Earl Grey, but theirs I do. Okay, I love Earl Grey. I, so, so, I, I stopped drinking it, coffee. Hold on, a I stopped well, drinking me, coffee let, two let and a half let, months. Ago. Let me let John give a plug for his. No, I, I don't. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I like it, um, but you know, it, it's I don't even know what to say now. I mean, they're they're not paying me to say this, but um, yeah, Gold River t- to me, well, they, I have they to stand behind, and, and uh, they if, do. If, it, well, they're great because they're it's a company that's independent pro America. They're, you know, patriotic. They love the Lord, um, bunch of, uh, Christians. And so I want to help other Christians of like mind and faith. And, um, and I actually suggested to them to, to do it. I was like, have you guys ever tried that? And, and it worked out great for them. And so they, um, you know, they, uh, will give me sometimes, you know, one to five ads. Some, sometimes a month it's like, you know, could you mention it like four or five times? And, um, they come out with new teas all the time. So I was going to say, the, I'm not, before this, I wasn't a huge tea guy. Yeah. And I, I would drink it now and then. But after I got a hold of theirs, I actually became more of a tea guy. I really like it. And I was not thinking I would like their pumpkin spice tea. Because that's like for white girls in the fall. <laughs> and why would I have anything to do with pumpkin spice anything? Well, I tried it because they asked me to. They sent it to me and they're like, could you you know, market this? It's October. I kept drinking it. It's all gone now. It's so good. I was just like, you know. So, Give us the name anyway. again. Gold, Gold River. GoldRiverCO.com. Gold River Tea. And, okay. and what's the what? What do they have to mention to so that Gold River Tea knows uh, that from you? I don't even know. I think conversations. I think conversations. conversations. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 15% so if you go to Gold off. River, Gold River Tea, search for Gold River Tea and. When yeah. you call them up, just uh, mention that you heard them on, con- even though this isn't conversations uh, that matter, just mention <laughs> you heard them from the host of you conversations. You could do that. Yeah, you could do that. 
They'll throw in a my pillow if you order over a hundred dollars worth. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, man! <laughs> so, all right. So let's let's get back to to Tim Keller. So I have I have a quote that I forgot about that I was going to read you guys that might put here? your jaws on the floor. It's uh, so this is something Keller said about Karl Marx. Oh, um, he said, "I'm serious." He said, "Karl Marx." was the only major thinker other than God who held up the common worker with a high view of labor. That was in one of his sermons. Say say that again. Karl Marx. Karl Marx was one, uh, was the only major thinker other than God who held up the common worker with a high view of labor. So he just doesn't ever, he doesn't understand that Joseph Stalin said that Karl Marx was the, uh, one of one of the most evil e- evil thinkers of his time, and no nobody should ever listen to or read or understand one word that the man has ever said. That was from Stalin. Yeah, okay, but hold on. Let's let's take a look at actual history. Let's look at John Calvin. I mean, here's a guy that goes into Geneva. He was invited into Geneva because Geneva was such a cesspool. Poverty was at you know was huge there. And what did he do? He preached the gospel. People got saved because they got saved. They wanted to learn to read so they could read the Bible. Yeah. No. Bible teaches them that they have to take care of their fellow brothers and sisters. They start taking care of the poor. They, they, those that are poor start getting jobs and working, you know, you like other than Jesus, well, I would say John Calvin comes long before Karl Marx. I would think so too. Um, he pokes a whole like he he'll say that you know, like Marx is wrong though because of the atheism, right, uh, and uh, the materialism and stuff, and you know. But but he had a good idea. And here, here's one more quote. He says this. Um, oh, if I can find it, I just had it up. Okay. The people, this is a direct quote. The people I read who were disciples of Marx were not villains. They were not fools. They cared about people. There are vast populations, millions of people who have been in absolute serfdom and peasantry and poverty for years and years, and there's no way they're going to get out. There's no upward mobility. See, the people who read Marx said, we have to do something about this. They weren't fools. Tim Keller. Okay. I was in a sermon just, too. I, oh wow! But think about it. How many thousands of people listen to us at MN? You know, or, or maybe more than that. But I mean, it—that's—it's—it's it's, it's shocking because if you think about it, what country alive today besides America has given itself over to socialist or communist ideology that is not self-destructing or has not destroyed everybody around them, and and, and has has used its people as uh, a forced labor a uh to to ingratiate the the higher elites with with vast amounts of wealth there's not one country that you can name that fits the criteria of what he just said well my question is who are the disciples of marx too i mean are we pol pot i mean these are the people that executed it i mean is it uh dictators is it fidel castro like who 
Yeah, they really just cared about people. They, they, they loved everybody. That's why it happened in Venezuela. They loved people so much. Hugo Chavez was just yeah, yeah, yeah. They loved people so how much that you, they hung them and 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 took all of their food and and. But how they didn't need that food. That, that, yeah, how can you praise Marx for for that and say, but but we're gonna ignore his atheism? Like that was the underpinnings of everything he did. Well, that's I mean, the same play that we see now with the CRT, right? It's an analytical tool. So um, as long as you reject the atheist foundation of it, Christians can use this. And, and they did the same thing uh, in the 1970s. Richard Mao, who helped train or influence Keller, w- was doing the same thing. It was the same formula over and over and over. We can That's liberation theology. We can take this and use it for ourselves and build it on another foundation. Like Jesus was the real Marxist. And obviously that's yeah. not true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, and, well, and, you know, you and I both covered this, but this, uh, w- this, uh, campaign, he gets us. Oh yeah. A hundred million dollars devoted that. And, you know, just read through what they're trying to do. They're trying to rebrand Jesus as a social justice warrior. And that that's, that's what drives me nuts with that whole campaign is when you look at, it, and we've, I, I tried digging, we cannot find out who is behind that campaign, who put up the hundred million dollars. Yeah. My guess, my theory, George Soros, but. Oh, I think um, I, Oh, you're no, no, I think you're right. You're right. Yeah. It was, no, it's, it's a, it's a bunch of foundations that are owned by other foundations right. that have, it's, it, you can't, you can't find out who put the money up and who it is. Yeah. And uh, so my theory is it's George Soros, but um, you know, it's the whole right. idea. Of it, would it, would it be fitting, right? Yeah. So I, I just I look at this whole thing and say this is what they want to do. They want to try to rebrand Jesus because they don't like the Jesus that actually existed because they, yeah. they prefer the Jesus that is going to endorse what they want him to endorse. Well, if, if Jesus is a social justice warrior, you have to you have to ask the question, why were there so many uh, people around him? that he uh, walked away from or would not go to or would not give, you know, uh, the concessions to that they wanted. I mean, they wanted him to be their king and to give them, you know, all the food, all the wealth, uh, you know, all the power. Uh, the, the people wanted that. Why didn't he give it to them? Yeah. You know, why did he shun them? One one little candle. This is one of uh, the podcasts on the Christian podcast community. One little candle podcast is saying, the la- the latest he gets us campaign is all about Jesus having been a refugee. Yeah. Well, but <laughs> but when you're trying to, and I you you know Andrew knows my opinion on this. Uh, when you're trying to overthrow America as a nation, um, you have to do every bit of media and even Christian media to outsource the idea that we we need to get rid of borders, we need to get rid of security, we need to get rid of the middle class, we need to get rid of you know, we even started the show off with even housing. You have to get rid of the idea of ownership of property. Everything's communal. We owe it to, you know, the, the person beside you that has less. You know, if if he has a one less, whatever, you owe it to him to give it to him. You know, and so, and, and that just goes down the line to where everybody's becomes poorer and poorer. Yeah. And, um, and the, the only people that, that actually come out. Um, I believe it was Marx that said that uh, re- religion is the opiate for the masses. And, uh, and, and I'm trying to figure out how, 
Keller and others can can use that that denigration of Christianity. How can they use that and say that it's a it's a a good John? You said it, an analytical tool. How can they say that that is a good tool to analyze the scripture based on the idea that they wanted to destroy Christianity and replace it with atheism? I, I don't understand. I mean, they're not self aware of the implications of some of this. So I mentioned before that when Keller came to the Lord uh, in the context of InterVarsity in the early 70s at Bucknell University, he was already radicalized. He was already a, a new left guy um, participating in uh, protests and things. And when he listened to this uh, speech by Tom Skinner, that said there's these two incomplete gospels, the fundamentalists have one, the social gospels, the other one. And if we wed them together, we get this holistic, complete gospel. He, he took that tape and he listened to it over and over and over and over. And, and, and just, it, it impressed him so much that mm-hmm. it, and it attracted him to going towards ministry, I, I suppose, but at least getting involved with varsity. And the, if you look at that speech and this is an early one, um, you know, we're not thinking about Christianity going liberal in 1970, but it was already happening. Oh yeah. Well, uh, well and, before that too. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, and I mean liberal in this, right. Cause I have to define the terms here, but I, I mean like yeah. uh, Marxist new left kind of yeah. uh, social justice direction. Um, you know, Tom Skinner is basically saying that he, what the sneaky thing is he's taking the law, right? So the law is that we ought to obey God's commandments and, um, and part of obeying his commandments, part of loving your neighbor is helping your neighbor at times. So that's what they'll do. They'll, they'll take these very vague notions of love. And sometimes they'll take commands that are directed towards Christians and they'll misapply them because Christians are supposed to take care of their own. Families are supposed to take care of their own, but they'll take those commands and universalize them. Or they'll take you know things from the Old Testament in a, the context of a covenant community and universalize them. And then they say, well, you know, that's what Jesus wants us to do. And the the conflation is that's the law that condemns us because we fail to do that. But they turn it into it's incumbent on Christians because it's part of the gospel. Now it's connected some way. It's a gospel issue. It's uh, you have an incomplete gospel if you don't do this. And so any Orthodox believer uh, who's well-meaning and maybe a little ignorant is going to hear that and think like, well, th- this is, I wouldn't normally get involved in political activism, but if it's part of the gospel, I guess I will. Yeah. Uh, and, and they go down this path thinking, so, so, so that's, I think the play m- most often is um, pervert or overemphasize certain aspects of the law of God to, and, and to the detriment of other aspects of the law of God, and then infuse that into the gospel and then make that the centrifuge of the entire faith and the mission of the church and, and everything else. So, so would you yeah. would you think that that's why we could do the, um, you know, Vody Balcom, Justin Peters talk about the train and and the caboose, you know, all the all the different bus cars that yeah. come along with it. Um, you know, uh, intersectionality. You have you know you have your your ideas of your LGBTQ. You have the you know, all of the woke uh, ideologies because it doesn't come in one; it comes in all. And I've heard him. Uh, speak directly to the 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 social uh, the the just the injustice that's done when we do not accept the you know the trans or we don't accept the the people for who they say they are and bring them in as they are. Um, yeah. You know, 
Well, Keller's been influ- Keller's been up to his his ankles at least in this because yeah. he was the one, him and his wife, that introduced the living out church audit that said, "Here are whatever it was, ten things that you need to do in your church to make sure that it's a safe space for homosexuals and they don't feel judged when they come." So that's Keller. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and, and I, I want to end up changing into some other topics. I want to bring Melissa in because she she may be want to talk on this topic. Melissa, Melissa Lex, she's from Thoroughly Equipped Podcast, another of the Christian Podcast Community Podcasters, and I can announce publicly, she is the newest administrator for the Christian Podcast Community. So, hi, Melissa. Uh, can you hear me? Hi, <laughs> you can hear me. Hi, John. Hi. Um, yes, I do have a question, but um, before that, I did want to um, ask you specifically, have you heard about the IF Gathering? If I Jenny F. Allen for women's ministry. So part you of know, my pod, no, <laughs> part of my podcast is um, kind of um, discernment and to women's ministry and stuff like that. And so I mentioned this because Jenny Allen's one of her big influences is uh, Tip Keller. So, really? and not only that, you have be the bridge. Um, oh, I know about is, them. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. So I really wanted to have you on my podcast. <laughs> I know. Oh, like I love there you go, John. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> I, I know. yeah. This this is the this is John. I think I texted you about uh, Melissa reaching out to you. So, oh yes, yes, yes. So this yeah. is the reach out. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, this so, isn't the reach out. Sorry. This is public. You should have called out. out. You you can't say no now. You yeah. Just have to say, yeah. yeah. No, no, it's okay um, if you say no. It's fine. <laughs> I did email you, um, but I know you're busy. But um, yeah. In regards to the Be the Bridge and the CRT, um, but one of the my questions was right in line with that is about the Kingdom of God doctrine, and I wanted to uh, hear you speak about Tim Keller and if he talks about the Kingdom of God in socialism uh, terms, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But that's what I see a big uh, entryway into women's ministry is um, talking about being. Uh, doing the kingdom of God, bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that's kind of how he um, kind of slides in the social gospel and slides in the critical race theory. Oh, sure. Uh, I, I definitely know he talks about the kingdom. Um, I don't know if he does it in the same way that like Jim Wallace does, where they, they'll say the gospel of the kingdom is, and then it's all these social justice things you have to do. But I know that Keller he often uses the term kingdom in conjunction with um, Christ's uh, humbling of himself in Philippians uh, chapter two and how that's an example to us of what we have to do. And we would all say, amen, except for the fact that that means give up all your money social <laughs> and work. social work. Yeah. And, and it's, so he misunderstands, I think what the incarnation was really about. I mean, he misapplies you know, verses like um, that, that talk about spiritual, renewal and he'll make it about uh the helping physical needs like uh helping give sight to the blind is like john calvin would say in his commentary that uh, that's a reference in isaiah to um what the messiah is going to do to take away spiritual blindness but keller will make that about it's all a, a directive to the church today to go and get involved in poverty ministries and so forth. And he will say that that's 
he, he does use the word kingdom. And I'm looking for a specific quote. I do. So he, he says this. This is actually interesting. He says, no revolution um, can escape the reality of the of. And I'm summarizing here a little bit. Uh, the reality of the power, except, quote, the kingdom of God ruled by a, quote, king without a quarter power or recognition and requiring his followers to give up their power as well. So that I think it's it's probably dovetailing with what you're talking about, if I'm not mistaken, that Jesus comes and in, institutes this new revolution. Keller calls it a revolution. And it's oh, wow. this kingdom that, but it's it's different than every other kingdom because every other kingdom is exerting power. And this one is giving up power. And that's what we have to do is to go give up all our power. Power is bad. The religious rights bad. Trying to stop abortion through political means. We, we've just soured people's tastes and power is bad. And, and he'll say that it's not income. In, in, in it's not um, you can't reconcile that with being part of the kingdom of God we're supposed to bring. So, right. And help? Christ is an example of that. Right. Uh, the ultimate giving of power. The cross is an example of that. That's at least what I see. In right, it's liberation the theology. Yeah, liberation okay. theology. Exactly. Yes. Yep. Yeah. It makes okay. me wonder. Uh, you know, and I don't know if you. I doubt you have the answer to this, but I wonder how much Keller is worth. You know, like because the reason I'm asking is because so many of these guys that preach that we should, you know, everyone else has a responsibility to give to the poor, but they usually don't uh, give their own money to the poor. Like you don't want to take a picture of David Platt's house and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, I love it, man. That's funny that you mentioned David Platt. He's another one that uh, comes yeah. into the If Gathering who talks about the whole gospel. Then you have Eugene yeah. Cho. I don't know if you've heard of him. Oh, he's way out to the left. Yep. Kel Keller's conservative yep. compared to him. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I would definitely, um, it's a understanding that women's ministry in um, a whole is very sneaky the way if gathering is set up it's online and so it can get into any church and i do think a lot of the critical race theory at least in the communities that i'm in i've seen a lot of uh women leave church good solid teachings because they're influenced by women's ministry like that. And so they leave good, solid church to go to more inclusive church. It's, it's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I should say, you know, a couple of the ladies have been, you know, in here mentioning about the fact of the if gathering, um, someone who said they, they went before they knew better. Uh, just so you know, after I get back from Israel, I'm going to be trying to put together, uh, I'm trying to get Melissa, Lex, come on with a couple other ladies to talk specifically about the IFT gathering so that uh, we could bring some more awareness to that. So that's a future episode of Apologetics Live. Yeah, that's so necessary, <clears throat> what you're doing, Melissa, because my experience, uh, so many of these Christian ministries are targeted to women specifically, especially like suburban housewives. And that's what, it shouldn't be this way, but that's what ends up pulling the whole family towards. Yes you know, mm -hmm. a certain theology. So, yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. Bethel church is notorious for, you know, uh, appealing to the emotions of, of ladies and, and those that are, that, that just yeah. don't have a theological background and th they love to pull that in. I'm, we're talking a different subject, but, but you think about it, it's, it's all interconnected in some way. You know I mean? Uh, sa Satan has his hands in, 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 in the, uh, the oh, yeah. idea of, of trying to destroy, you know, Christians in any way he can. So 
You know, well, you, could, I, you could go back to what we did a few, uh, well, I want to say weeks, but now maybe months ago when Melissa Lex and, uh, you know, was on last time and we talked about feminism. Um, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we talked about how the feminism, it's like so much of what we see in the social justice movement, it, you know, like you see it starting, you know, a lot with the feminism and, and feminism has now been redefined where it undoes the very thing that the feminists originally were trying to do. <laughs> right. right. You know, like if the, if the feminists of old would, would hear what the feminists of today are saying, they'd be like, stop. <laughs> like, well, I mean, now the feminists are, are, are the quote unquote feminists are, are defending men saying they're women. I, I watched yeah. a video just today of, of so a, a gentleman. I watched a video today of a guy that walks up to an airport and uh, the security he walks right up to the airport. I don't know when it happened, but I saw it. And and he says, um, you guys just spent $22 million for all this new security to, to try to help everybody that's, you know, I, those transgenders. Oh, my god! And, and the, you know, the, these feminists are, are running around saying, you, you've got a, you know, a, 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 a woman's ride and a woman can have a birth. And, and if he identifies as a woman, he can now, it, all the silliness. This guy walks up and he says, um, I identify as a woman. And. Uh, the the airport security, the police, the owners, the whole everybody had to come out. It was this big fiasco, and he's like, I, he and he said on on the video, "I'm not a woman, but I'm going to identify this way. See what happens." They got <laughs> he got patted down, like patted down by a lady. <laughs> this is insane, but 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 it's I mean, Lifeway uh, is uh, is got this got this uh, material coming in to the churches today that that's uh, woke that's. Uh, that's that's trying to uh, shift everybody's thinking towards accepting these types of things, you know. It's it's all interconnected. I mean, the, yeah, I, and it's all demonic. But it's all so, Satan. <laughs> yeah. So let's get you know. So we talked about Keller with social justice, his, you know, those things. Uh, I mentioned the fact that his views on on theistic evolution. Yeah. Um, you actually played clips on your podcast. Actually, a clip that I use in some of my talks. Um, where he talks about Genesis one and two, and, and you know, he he's he does well. I would like to say gymnastics, but you know that's belittling gymnastics <laughs> with what he did. Um, was that, I haven't uh, heard that one then. <laughs> yeah, he, he well, you played you played a similar clip to where he is where he was just you know it's like he's got Genesis one, Genesis two. And it's like, well, this is literal. This is completely figurative. Like, this is all made up. Right. You know, so this is all, like chapter one first, actually happened. Chapter two chapters, yeah. is is a literary style, you know, so it's not really that there was an Adam and an Eve because chapter one is teaching evolution. Right. And it surprises people to know that he teaches evolution. He doesn't believe in a worldwide flood either. No. Oh, uh, okay. That's so what's his me. view on sin <clears throat> and the fall? <laughs> Well, sin, yeah, I mean, he's got two views. I, I think I said that before, like on almost everything, except <laughs> creation, one to evolution. the Christian, so one to the unsaved, right? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the, the case. I mean, he's, he, he'll, depending on what audience you're listening to, like if he's at the PCA General Assembly, he Oops. sounds a whole lot more conservative than he does at a university or in a leadership training seminar or something. Um, but his biblical doctrine of sin, I think a lot of what we hear today about sin being uh, equivalent to brokenness is from Keller, I, or at least he's 
if it's not from him, he's certainly made it popular. And so Keller's main thing is um, trying to communicate to this postmodern blue city community that breaking God's law, which is what they all have in their minds, that's probably that's sin. It's doing things that God doesn't like. Right. At least he tries to overturn that to get them to. It's always like this fortune cookie, like impressive Ted talk nuance thing where like, oh, you, you thought it was this. But guess what? Christianity is is something so much more mysterious or better or curious and um, compelling is the word he usually uses. And so um, so he 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 tries to step away from this idea that it's breaking God's law and focus on instead the what sin does to us, the effect of sin. So if you if you sin, you're going to reap the consequences of sin in yourself. And he even says that's a type of hell. Yeah, that you're you're starting hell when you when you sin and go down this road and it leaves you unfulfilled. That's the bottom line. All of this stuff isn't really going to fill you up and make you happy, even though you think it is. And so it's it's just bad for you and you're broken. And now you need a complete identity because you you've had this unfulfilled identity and come to Jesus. Right. So that's how he distorts what sin is, because if he was going to be, to be biblically, biblically accurate, he would say it's breaking the law of God. Sin is lawlessness. You've broken the law of God. You justly stand condemned. But he that's too judgmental. People in New York City don't want to hear that. Okay, so some, a question has come in for you, John. Uh, the Bishop of Railway, uh, love the names, but he says, can you expand on what you mean by sin is brokenness? So, yeah, people, I mean, I'm going to see if I can find an example of it, because uh, I know there's many of them, but... Um, is that, while you're doing that, is that, yeah, that kind of like when he did the video and they, they asked him directly about sin? Uh, I'm sorry, about, about homosexuality, and he nuanced it to the point where you're just broken. You're, well, you, you're, you're incomplete in that lifestyle. It is sin, but you're incomplete in that lifestyle. And it kind, it, of. It, it kind of pushed it's me towards... not God's best for you. Yeah, not it's God's best for you. not God's best for you, yeah. 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 I can't find the, an exact quote right in front. I know, I know I've, I've read a number of them, but um, it's, yeah, it's, it's like I said before, the consequences of sin being reaped in your own life, that it leaves you broken. It's, it's so the, it, instead of the effect it has on, on God, what you've done to, to God essentially by thumbing your nose at him, it's the focus has shifted from what the sin does to you. And there's some truth to the fact that sin does break you. You are broken. That's not wrong to say that. It's not the full story though. And if you leave out the part and you make it definitional, that brokenness and uh, the effect of sin, the consequences of sin are really what sin is, then um, you're doing your audience a big disservice. Um, mm-hmm. The Orthodox people hear it and they 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 will fill in the blanks, the, the the gaps. They'll say, oh yeah, like we know what he's talking about. And that's why I think so many people have heard Keller over the years and think, they, they didn't suspect. Yeah. But if you're not orthodox and you're hearing what he says, it's not comprehensive. It's a very limited, narrow understanding. It's, it's almost what you have with Mormons where they have the same words as Christian. The words. They just have totally different meanings. Right. Mm-hmm. So okay, that's so the liberal side, that, though. Some yeah. questions that came in. Uh, Brother John is saying, question, Tim Keller post-millennial. Do you know the answer to that? I don't think so. I think he's all millennial, but yeah, we think I would think he's all millennial being Presbyterian. 
Yeah. Um, Facebook user says, "Hey John, could you shoot me the quotes from Keller on Mark?" Yeah, just well, send that send that over to him. We we can't Facebook <laughs> user because you got to go to apologeticslive.com, follow the instructions to see how Facebook could <laughs> could share your name. But I'll tell you how how you can get him here. He actually said that go, go to conversations that matter. Yeah. Uh, and you can you can support him there. And if you support John, you get access to that. There so, is it is in my book, I know. I think I the blue the blue one, Social Justice Goes to Church. You can find those quotes. Um, can okay. I say something to the sin on brokenness thing? Um, just because of, of my study into the if gathering, it's led me to psych psychotherapists that are presented at if and that I call this the psychology the, so, the psychologizing of sin. It's it is basically um, you're only offending yourself. God wants your best, right? Like you said. Um, and then there's just all this talk. The gospel is more like God is making something beautiful out of you, your brokenness. And that's the good news that he's going to use you for some uh, really good purpose and and something like that. So the the idea of sin as offending you and not God, real it does mess with the gospel entirely, which then yeah. kind of leads to Jesus being the example on the cross. His life is the example, and that's how we live, and we are to be like Christ and sacrifice ourselves uh, just like he did. So, well, yeah. well Melissa, I guess you better start listening to Voice of Reason Radio because Chris Hunt holds the saying, psychologizing of sin, writes that down for later use. You're probably going to hear that soon on Voice of Reason Radio. <laughs> So what does what does all that do? Uh, th these concepts. What does it do for the doctrine of sin, doctrine of hell, and the doctrine of wrath of God? I mean, God's justice seems to be on the back burner, if at all. So, so I'll read you a definition to start this one off. Um, this is from Reason for God. He says, "Sin is the despairing refusal to find your deepest identity in your relationship and service to God. Sin is seeking to become oneself to get an identity apart from Him." Now. There's some truth in some of this, perhaps, but it's not comprehensive or complete, and it's certainly not biblical. When you look up all the passages, no, no. like sin uh, is transgression, <laughs> yeah, sin is transgression. So, um, so, so, and there, there's a number of quotes I have, uh, mostly from Reason from God, but also from Prodigal God, where Keller does this thing, and he tries to tell them, "Hey, sin's not breaking the law; it's these other things." What he does is he reduces sin down to idolatry. All sin is idolatry, and this is how he can make things that are even not technically sins, but the let's say the left finds them offensive, they become idolatry. Loving your family too much, I guess, could be idolatry. I mean, anything could. So he reduces it down to it, its idolatry and this broken self that you have, this unfulfilled self, this lack, this identity you lack. And God's goal is to give that back to you, to bring you into a place where you have your identity fulfilled and you're a whole person again. And so it's, it's purely man centered. Um, and the attributes of God, like his wrath and justice are downplayed because Keller's whole idea of hell is that it's, he gets us from Lewis, but it's locked from the inside. God's it's, it's the lacking of the presence with God. God's not there. And it's something we choose to, to go to ourselves. God has no choice in the matter. He's, he's, feels rejected. He's crying as we go there, but we lock it from the inside and we don't want to leave. He, he misunderstands the whole uh, rich man and Lazarus parable. 
and tries to make it out like this is a uh, that that hell is a place that you go to that if you choose to go there you're not interested in going to heaven it's so it's i guess it makes you not feel as bad for the people maybe being tortured i don't know but but it, it what it does is it takes the attributes of god and it tries to that wrath and that justice he guts it because that's not a God that people in New York City want to worship, right? They want a God who's all love, love, love. Exactly. Um, and with his doctrine of the Trinity, he he totally changes the, what the Trinity is, and he he makes the essence of the Trinity love. He he takes that one attribute of God and elevates it to a point where it's the only thing that God is. And um, yeah, I mean, so, you know, the the one of the things I've seen with him, and this is what we said, talked about earlier in the show with the question that we had from Jacob, he has a, a habit as well of taking parables and reading into the parables yes. far more than yeah. should be. And, you know, so, so when we look at hermeneutics, that's the, the, the science of interpretation, how we interpret with parables, when it comes to parables, I'll say this again, because it's really important. You see a lot of people do this. When you come to a parable, you look at the parable for what the main point is of the parable. You don't try to see if you could analyze every aspect of the parable. It's not what a parable is for. It's an illustration of one point. And so the goal of the parable is figure out what it's illustrating. And that's it. Anything beyond that is just, twisting the scriptures because you're not following the rules of interpretation. And, and he does this a lot. And so this should be a warning to anybody. If you see a teacher who is nitpicking at parables and starting to find, well, this could mean this, and this means this, and they're going beyond what the purpose of the parable is, that the main idea, you know, someone who's no longer dealing with God's word, but trying to insert their own thinking. And they, they use the parables because the rest of God's word doesn't say it. And that's yeah. why these, these people always go to parables, because they can twist the parables to make it say what they want it to say. They, look, they, they start with a conclusion, and they're looking for, how can I fit this in the Bible? Right. I mean, he, this, is, this is what he does with evolution. Let me look at the Bible and see how I could fit this in, because the scientists say this is true. Uh, millions of years, okay, it's got to be right. You know, evolution, it's got to be right. You know, and and you look at look at that. If you add in that the philosophical nuance, you know, everything's got to be nuanced. You can't you can't speak to anything on a concrete level. You have to uh, be so flowery with the language, and you have to. I mean, the only people that can understand it is a one eighty IQ with a you know six degrees under your belt, and 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 oh, he sounds so great. I. I, I can't stand that. If you can't speak to the, to the child in the room, then you're not speaking to anybody. Yeah. You know, you so, have to be able to speak to everybody on this. So let me ask this. Cause I, you know, we, we got about now we, we can go over if, if John wants to go longer, that's we'll give him more, all the time if he wants it. But I want to, I want to cover some of the other things. I mean, what you covered a lot of things on, on your different episodes. Are there more concerning doctrines that you have concern with, with Tim Keller? Other than the ones I've mentioned. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we, we, we talked about his social justice. We've talked about his, his, you know, his view on, on, you know, evolution. You, you touched on his, on the view of sin, but you just, you just started kind of touching on the attributes of God. And, you know, well, it, it, this is my conclusion. So the, the book um, engaging with Keller, they don't, they don't draw this connection. 
they in fact it's weird because in the forward or i guess the preface to the book they're saying we don't uh, think keller's a heretic and then the whole book is he's a heretic so it's like it, it's a it's a strange I, I think they're just afraid maybe to say that i don't know well yeah um, a lot of people are john i mean think yeah think when, when you do what, what we're all doing here you try to be as gracious and kind as you can be but there comes a point in time when you have to you right. have to stand fast and say look we, we want to warn you the, yes. the church we want to warn the body of christ that this person is as the bible says you need to know to mark avoid here's here's the proof you know here's yeah. the receipts they don't okay. want to get that they i don't know want to my do that. twitter's probably blowing up right now <laughs> okay oh, trust me and, and you know and and i'll deal with it for the next week because like oh you touched the lord's anointed you know yeah you touched his anointed so. sorry john i mean <laughs> no you're no it, it, you're totally good um I just started noticing in the chapters uh, a trend because the the chapter on sin and I get through all these quotes and I'm like, okay, well, Keller doesn't really like the fact that God is just, has a standard. We violate it and we're guilty. And oh, wow. so God as a judge is kind of, that's, that's not something we should talk about too much. And then the you know chapter on hell, it's God's not really responsible to send people there. He's not involved in the torturous aspects. It's we, we just choose to do this to ourselves. I'm like, okay, well, he doesn't like the fact that God has wrath in that case, right? So these are attributes he's downplaying. But then when it comes to like the Trinity, he accepts this social Trinitarian idea that it's this love dance between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I, I kid you not. That's his, the way he frames it. And um, what happened, we, we were dancing along, and then the fall happened, and that's when we lost the dance. And part of Christianity is to return to the dance, to start dancing along with God again. It's really weird, and I, I, I was just shocked as I was reading, and I was listening to sermons of him. I'm like, yeah, he did say that. Okay. Um, in that Celtic dance, huh? Yeah, well, he doesn't say what kind of dance. <laughs> That's the thing, too. It was like river well, dance. Let's all do. Is it the here, river dance? The thing That's I'd wonder. Right. I mean, what would what would he deal with? How would he deal with Romans nine specifically? Let me just read from thirteen and following. He says, "Just as it is written, Jacob, I have loved; Esau, I have hated. What yeah. shall we say then? Is there any unrighteousness with God? May it never be." For he said to Moses, I have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then what does uh, so then it does not depend on the one who wills or the one who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up in order to demonstrate my power in you, in order that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth, so that he may have mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens who he desires. You will say, then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers Back to God. Will the thing molded say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Or, you know, does the potter have the authority with the, with over the clay to make one lump with a vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable? And what if God wanting to demonstrate his wrath? Let me read that again. And what 
if God, wanting to demonstrate his wrath and make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath, having been prepared for destruction. Hmm. I mean, like, you know, it almost, Tim Keller's a Presbyterian. You would think he's going to come from a Calvinistic perspective, and yet he would have trouble with, with that clear teaching because he doesn't like the fact that God is God. He's wrathful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, would, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. You're, you're spot on. Absolutely right. Would, would he, I guess I don't know the answer to this one. Would Tim Keller be juxtaposed to the, the, the concept of the wrath of God poured out on Christ on the cross? Uh, there I, seems I think- to, Go ahead. I think he would articulate. The thing is, like I said, he has two positions in all these things. So I think he could articulate it in an orthodox fashion, and then he's going to try to articulate it to the postmoderns, and he gets into this heretical stuff. And so, um, I, I, you know, I don't think he has a problem with that. Like, if you were to come and ask him, Justin, he would probably give you the right answer. That's the part about Tim Keller that I think so many people find confusing, and why. Um, I, I've just scratched my head about how he continues to operate in the PCA, but that's, I think, how he does it. Um, so that just reminds me of John 10. Yeah. Jesus yeah. says, yeah, I'm the good shepherd. And, you know, here, here comes all these guys that they know the wolves are there, but they're going to open the door up because they want the money. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying it, I disagree with Tim Keller. I, I don't support him. I think he's probably more likely a heretic. Um, I think he's a false teacher at best. But I also think that he has opened the door up like so many other have because of the power and the position, the money, you know, things like that. I, I don't know. When you bring in, when you, bring in you know, atheistic socialism uh, to destroy the church, I, I don't know what else you can say. I, I, you know, that's, it's terrible. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, um, it, it pains me because I know so many people like, like Andrew said, you know, and I, and I know, John, I know you've dealt with this that yeah. will turn their back on you because you dare say something about their golden calf. Well, what they'll do is they'll start trying to pull a bunch of Orthodox quotes, right? Yeah. And they'll say, exactly. well, look, Tim Keller said, you're saying he said this, but he said this over here. And, and it's like, well, I'm not saying he didn't. I'm just saying, how do you reconcile it? And that's what they can't do and they don't want to do. How do you reconcile what he said here well, with what he said there? You and, just nailed it. They don't want to. Right. They they want, they, they hear something they like from Tim Keller and they want to believe it's true rather than say, you know, let God be true and every man a liar. I mean, we should be comparing to what God's word says. And I think you're right. He's, he, he seems to, you know, you really nailed it, I think, with he, he's duplicitous in the doublespeak. He changes the meanings based on who he, his audience is, and or he'll, he'll speak so vaguely that for those in his audience, they think he's saying what they believe. And so they think he's orthodox, and the unbelievers think he's teaching social justice, and no one really knows what he believes because he's just constantly talking out of both sides of his mouth. And this is what I think makes it so hard and, and why so many people you know, get upset when we, we would speak negatively ab- about Tim Keller. 
because they think, no, he's orthodox. He's, he's spoken the truth. We've got two people in the side chat that are just, that are just uh, going, going to town. They're, you know, John, you have to give direct quotes for, oh, for exactly what he said. But the thing is, is if you, yeah. if you give a general discussion, and well, you're not well, trying to throw yeah, that's, out direct quote. Look, that's coming from Alexander Wright, so it doesn't count. <laughs> Alexander Wright is saying, John, please give a direct quote uh, for the dance. I mean, thing. I have a long paragraph yeah. here. I mean, it's, but I've given it on my yeah. podcast and I don't yeah, I mean Alex, time. Alex. I was gonna just, say, go to his channel. Go to his channel and to subscribe and yeah, yeah. you can download all the just, quotes. He just wants. go to go to conversations that matter. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and if you hit the if you hit the subscribe button and then you you know you you donate to help him out. I mean you guys are too kind. Um, and and oh, and man. and Alex, don't don't give us any excuse that you're a missionary and can't afford it. You know, I, I you know. <laughs> I, there is one quote that I would like to read for you. This isn't about the Trinity thing, but this I think is the the key or the formula. He said this um, in Center Church. Uh, he says when he went to Manhattan, he says I encountered a cultural allergy to the Christian concept of sin. I found that I got the most traction with people. However, when I turned to the Bible's extensive teaching on idolatry, sin I explained is building your life's meaning on anything, even a good thing, more than on God. Whatever else we build our life on will drive our passions and choices and end up enslaving us. Um, there's another quote I have of a reporter in USA Today asking him about his church and. Um, he talks about the idea of branding and, uh, you know, setting his church apart from these other churches that are in town. And um, he says, let's see, uh, self-centeredness is destroying peace and justice in the world, tearing the net of interwovenness, the fabric of humanity. And he says this is a rebrand of sin. He, he uses the word rebrand. Hmm. It's self-centeredness that's destroying the peace and justice of the world. So when the USA Today reporter comes, what sin... Uh, it's it's self-centeredness. It's destroying all the peace and justice. You don't want that, right? Uh, we got to rebrand. And he says that um, hmm. when when he's talking to, I, I think someone might have even, I'm not watching all the quotes, but someone put in the chat a, a quote of him that was sounding orthodox on this. You have to, again, look at his audience and he's giving you his formula. He's telling you in center church, he's saying, I'm communicating this to people in a way that's palatable, <clears throat> that's compelling, that they they seem to get it more when I say it this way instead of the way the Bible says it. So, so it's, it, okay. So oh. right off the bat, it sounded like, okay, pragmatics. Yep, I'm going to speak to whatever gets to people, not what God wants. So that it, it, that right there tells you Bingo. what his priority is. Okay. The second thing is, you know, ask the, ask yourself the question for, for those listening and watching, how could Catholics and evangelicals get together and put, sign a document Catholics and evangelicals together. How could they get together and say, we believe the same things when in the core issues, it's mutually exclusive. Oh, very simple because they didn't define their terms. They used vague things to just, so that they, they said, what can we say where we could get everybody to say, yes, we agree. We just mean different things by it. Well, that's Tim Keller. Yeah. You know, and he, Al Mohler. <laughs> yeah, and Al Mohler. Yeah. Tim Keller's yeah. better at it than Al Mohler, I think. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, yeah, go 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 back and listen to, to on on my rap report podcast. It's R-A-P-P report. Um, it's a play on my last name, rap report, but go and listen to the two episodes I did on Al Mohler. I play him on his own words complaining about 
Um, it, it was just so funny. He did an episode complaining that uh, there is a Roman Catholic politician in Canada. Oh, I've heard this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I played this clip exposing how he's sitting there saying that a, a politician who's Catholic, not even Christian, has to answer the question on homosexuality. He, you know, he, he refused to answer. And Mueller was saying, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. And I, I pointed out at the same time Mueller's doing this, there's an open letter to Beth Moore about her exposing, you know, taking a stand on homosexuality or not. Yeah. What's her stance? And she's not you know, Canadian, she's American. She's not a, you know, um, a politician. She's a Christian speaker and she's not Catholic. She's Southern Baptist like, or was at the time, like he is. So if a Catholic politician who's Canadian has to answer, yeah. Why does Beth Moore get a pass? Well, oh, because she's SBC. Th this you know? is like, like a, a pandemic, though, in evangelicalism, where they can get the credit for taking a bold stand where it doesn't risk them anything. But when in their own backyard, they have the power to do something about it, they fail to do it because that'll actually make them risk their neck. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's why the very, next, the very next episode I did, I, I used his same quotes <laughs> against him on, on, you know, his comments at the... Uh, you know, when he was doing the Q&A at Shepherd's Conference, you know, where he's like, oh, I stood up for social justice. I, yeah, but not within the SBC. That was that's the issue. <laughs> right? Well, yeah. Uh, when you when you stand up and when you stand up and you say this on the liberal side, you know, and you're, we're talking about Tim Keller, but Albert Mueller has done the exact same thing so many times mm -hmm. that you can't you cannot get away from the fact that he's, you know, uh, trying to cater to both audiences. Yeah. You know. And Tim Keller is doing the same exact thing. You look, guys, I'll say this. John Piper has done the same thing for so many yes. years. It's not funny. Yes, he has. You know, I mean, anybody that would say, hey, we need to have a passion conference with every single bad teacher that you could get a hold of and bring them in and then put a little bit of a balance in there. I'm sorry. You know, but but that's that's geared towards our, our youth for the SBC. No, you know? I wouldn't. I wouldn't exactly mind doing that if we were condemning their teachings and preaching the gospel to them <laughs> not have a big sign that says jesus speak to us in the back is beth moore is taking us through the lectio yeah. divina <laughs> i mean look i've I, i've said you know, I'll, I'll, i said i'll speak anywhere i was invited to speak at the flat earth uh convention and i don't know what that says about you <laughs> yeah I, I don't i don't know why they thought so so hey they, they, they had people from all over the globe yeah, they, they, uh, <laughs> they, I got an email asking me to speak at the, at the international flat earth society and why submit a talk. And so I said, sure, I would like to just, I will, I'd be happy to come in and discuss why the earth is a sphere. And I never heard back from them. I don't know why. Oh. Why did they even invite you? Though? I don't know. <laughs> I should have first asked, how do you hear about me? You're right. <laughs> Yeah, that's someone's misrepresenting you, or or maybe I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. Huh. But hey, I would have gone. I would have been, you know. I mean, look, Matt Matt Slick goes to a you know debate a you know sinless perfectionists, and I mean he's at a conference. They're all sinless perfectionists. I give credit to him. It's like you know he went right into the belly of the beast there, and they're all like it was it, like I watched that debate online, and he just he literally turns to this woman like. Are you telling me you think you've never sinned? And she's like, no. 
Cause, cause he said he sins every day and they're like, oh, there was like this gasp that you even, it was so loud. You heard it through the, through oh, the goodness. online and he just looked like, wait, you guys are telling me you think you never sinned. So, and Matt, so here's Matt's there, he goes, he goes, hang out with me for 10 minutes and I'll make you sin. Oh, <laughs> I'm getting you so angry. <laughs> so I got a couple of uh, things that we've starred here. Um, yeah. Is, is this right? Uh, Gerard Perry said that Keller was interviewed by Focus on the Family recently, and they made him out to be a Christian guru uh, on life. Well, G- Gerard, uh, he comes on my channel sometimes, and if he says it, it's generally true <laughs> from Good. everything I've well, seen. So. You know, here, hold on. Let me let me go back to the AI because here's the here's the other part that I didn't read from my AI when I when I looked up who Tim Keller is. It says. He is considered one of the most influential Christian pastors and theologians of the 21st century and has been featured on various media outlets such as the New York Times, CNN, the Wall Street Journal. He continues to teach and speak at conferences, teaching at churches and seminars around the world. So, yeah. You, you want to hear something funny? I did, I forgot to mention man, I don't know if I forgot. To, I didn't think it was significant. But back when I had a Twitter, I don't have a Twitter anymore. But when I did, I actually interacted with Tim Keller. Him and I went back and forth for a while. Relevant Magazine did a whole piece on it, and wow. you know, and and they this was in like twenty twenty, I think. And, How do you uh, get yourself into this stuff, John? I was <laughs> posting his Marxist quotes, the ones that people wanted to see. Where, where did he say that? Well, I was posting oh, quotes of it, and I yeah. tagged him or something, and he was responding. <laughs> he and he tried to, this is, I remember his whole angle was he tried to get, he tried to say John Calvin w- was also supportive of the same, like he was a Marxist or something. And uh, James White, I remember, did a whole dividing line on it. It blew up this whole thing. And um, it was just because I posted a, two those two quotes I read for you <laughs> on Karl Marx. And he just had to explain them somehow. So... Yeah, Tim Keller's really big, uh, surprisingly, even in the homeschool community. I'm just saying because really? his writings on parents, parenting, um, so he's really popular well, with us women. You as want well. something scary? He appeals. He's huh? the most popular author in Brazil, Christian author. Really? He because they translate his stuff into I wonder all these why other languages. Brazil. No, well, I, I think Brazil's only one. It's probably a number of countries, but I happen to have some connections to Brazil and. That's what I was told was that, you know, because because uh, there's a Brazilian guy looking to translate my book because he said all this stuff's coming down. And Tim Keller's the number one that uh, mm-hmm. re- resource that even Brazilian Christians have access to. And it's uh, it's sad what's happening internationally because of people like Keller. So. So, OK, John, John here is saying, I love conversations that matter. So that's, that's the cluck commander, by the way, So yeah, just for, in case you know. for our regulars. Let, so let's yeah, go through some of the comments. Um, Gentlemen, I'm going to head out, let you guys continue on to Anthony time. All right. Yeah. Well, well, we're going to, we're going to close up here in just a minute. We're going to close up. I just want to try and get through oh. some of these things kind okay. of quickly. <laughs> um, I'm trying to look to see if any of these things are directly for John. Yeah. So I'm trying to look forward to um, by the way, maybe you want to talk about this one. Uh, Jay Gresham uh, Machen, uh, his book on Christianity and liberalism should be the required reading for every Christian. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. What, what say you, John? Yes. I love the Jay Gresham Machen stuff. Yeah. Now, of course, he's canceled pretty much. I mean, he's he's getting there, but he's great. Yep. All right. So let's. Um, okay. So this from earlier in the show, 
Ethan was ahead. How's the hate mail, Andrew? Well, we don't have time to get through all the hate mail, so we'll, I may do that on a different show. <laughs> do that as a show just on that stuff. And after this show, I might get more. All right. Uh, KT said, uh, the Bible doesn't teach uh, either socialism or communism for us. And th that's something that I think is important for people to understand that when what you see is you'll see Christians or at least professing Christians that try to argue that the Bible teaches socialism, com well, definitely not communism, because com communism, the core tenant is, athe is atheistic. So, but when you think of socialism, the key passage they always go to is Acts chapter two, right? They sold all that they had to give to those that are in need. There's a key thing when you see people that try to argue that the Bible's teaching there socialism, the difference between what the Bible's saying and what socialism is, is this. First off, you're having a historical narrative. When you come to historical narratives, one thing you have to realize is historical narratives are not teaching what you should do, but teaching what did, or, or what's, but explaining what did happen. And so what actually happened was some people sold what their, their own properties to give to those in need. It's the same thing we saw with John Calvin in Geneva. As people got saved, they had a care to, to help people that needed help. But notice the difference. What you had happen is Christians making the choice to do this. That's different than the government coming in and forcing you to do this. And that's the difference. Because what you see with socialism is this desire to make sure everybody gets equally. But what really happens is it pushes, and this goes right back to what we were talking about in the very beginning of the program with Clifford. What the, what they do with the, the, the controlled rent is to force everybody, force everyone down to an equal standard, meaning everybody gets nothing except the elites. That is what socialism is. Yep. It, it's when they talk, everyone getting equal, you know, uh, Harris, Vice President Harris was just out saying that, you know, the, 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 what the, the American dream is, is that everybody's supposed to end at the same point. Well, really? Then right. we're all president of the United States. There you go. <laughs> because if we're not all president of the United States, we're not all ending in the same place. It, it's, in, it's an impossible standard. It's a stupid standard because it, it doesn't make any sense because everybody is can't be ending at the same place because you know, we'd all be, you know, uh, Elon Musk then. And then guess what? Now there's no money. <laughs> well, he's got to lose all his money anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Anything else? Chris Honhold right. said, uh, like Andy Stanley rebranding Christianity that is entirely disconnected uh, from scripture. Okay. So with that, what I do want to do, and I wanted to do this uh, earlier in the show, but I want to, I want to play something that I found on YouTube. Um, this is a, a YouTube short and I, I, I'll have to admit that I, oh, I might not be able to play this where you'll hear it too well, but it's Andy. Hold on. Uh, is this the most so recent clip? Yeah, so I'm gonna I, I won't play like it because it. we won't be able to hear it. But but basically, he's got a clip of Andy Stanley, uh, basically justifying homosexuality, um, saying how you know 
we, we got to kind of be considerate to how homosexuals would feel. But the, the issue there is he's, he's ignoring their actual sin. Well, they're, but he's got a homosexual family and, and leaders, uh, family, quote unquote, clarify that in, in his, uh, in his church as in leadership. Uh, yeah. So uh Facebook user here says Tim Keller should run for po- political office. Sounds like he'd do great with double speak and spin. <laughs> he is a registered Democrat, by the way. I don't know if you guys knew that. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I'm not surprised uh, so, with his, you know. Um, that's the party he'd run in, I guess. Yeah, it would. Um, here, here, helping the poor doesn't always mean giving them money. Actually, that's a, a point so many people don't understand. You know, you, know, you want to really help someone who's poor or homeless, you get them a job. Because if you give them money, guess what? Now you got to keep giving them money. That, it's exactly what Clifford was saying in the beginning of the show. What the Democrats do is go, okay, well, we're just going to keep giving you money. We're, we're going to give you this subsidy and this subsidy, keep you down, keep you poor, just keep voting for us. It's, it's a form of slavery um, that they're doing. And yeah. they do it for votes. And by the way, it was the Democrat Party that was for slavery. Now they're still for slavery, just a different kind. Uh, but um, let's see. Julian said another another situation where the church this, this is speaking of, of Tim Keller, another situation where the church tried to influence the culture and compromised. Yep. And, and, you know, where I think Tim Keller thinks he really he's really made an impact. Um. You know, well, I'm going to go back to what you said, John, earlier, though, <laughs> that if he's already radicalized before he ever comes to Christ or, quote unquote, comes to Christ, he's already got that in his mindset. Nothing's changed that. In fact, it's more radicalized now because he has a bigger platform and he's able to start a church and teach this stuff intermingled. Um I, I think that that, that's, that, is, that is his goal, and I think that is what, his, what, what he's doing is bringing that into the, into the body of Christ. And I think it's in every book, and I think it's in everything he's doing to nuance it. So when he's teaching at um, um, you know, the, the, the youth conferences or the family integrated church conferences or whatever else of the conference, he's going to bring that dogma or that mindset in. Um, I mean, yeah. see what you think about that. I know Trevor Loudon thought he was a left-wing operative, that that was his purpose, and it was very self-conscious. I don't know how self-conscious it is. It, I, I definitely believe that he's got an agenda. Uh, he would think it's uh, this sort of Kyperian, um, we're going to transform the church into this organization of Christians that engage the culture well and uh, contextualize the gospel and um, promote social justice. And, and he thinks he may actually legitimately think this is all biblical and that he's doing a service, but um, you know, he's been corrected so many times on this. I mean, even the, the fact that this book exists is a rebuke yeah. and What's I have the title of the book again. It's for called en- engaging with Keller and it's out of print. So you've probably, if you find a copy, it's probably gonna be like 200 bucks, but um, yeah, you have like, I think seven different Presbyterian scholars or pastors that took different issues and then wrote about them. And I haven't, in my studies of Keller, I haven't seen him seriously engage with any of the critiques. I mean, he tries on Twitter sometimes, but it's, uh, 
it's all shields it's smoke and mirrors it's um it's hard to take a lot of his engagement seriously like, like as if he's really after the truth and you're having a good faith discussion it's more he's after it and, and this is me i just so everyone knows this i don't have a source for this this is just me putting a read on it so this is my bias but it seems yeah. to me like he's just protecting his legacy like he just wants to protect um all the things that he's poured his life into and built and he doesn't want someone coming in and pointing out hey that's actually what you built isn't as good as you think it is <laughs> that's you you, know. you post a link here in the back um is, do you want that shared on on this oh you yeah well it was just there were some quotes from it it's it's basically the chapter in um if people want it for free because i gave it to enemies within the church but um on social justice goes to church that book in the back there's an appendix on tim keller and it's uh i think well i don't know what it's called <laughs> i think it's just called tim, tim keller and Progr uh, progressive, yeah, progressive evangelicalism, evangelicalism. Right. So uh, if you want, I'll post that on here so everybody can see it. So, so this is just a free version of that. If they just don't, they don't want to buy the whole book. They just want, I want to see what Tim Keller was up to. Go buy um, the book guys. He's done, done us a good service of, of yeah. putting us out here. Mm -hmm. So Chris Honhold said this, uh, and Chris is the, one of the co-hosts of voice of reason radio, another Christian podcast community podcaster. But he says, uh, when you deny the sufficiency of scripture, you run to whatever quote resource unquote you will help you will help you appease the unregenerate crowd. Mm -hmm. And that, that was a reference to, to Tim Keller. Now that that's all the, the uh, comments we had that were toward Keller. Um, we have some other comments here um, because, you know, we've, we've had an unusually large amount of, angst i guess in the chat tonight <laughs> yeah you know, it's, it's, it's john's amazing. fault we're, we're talking <laughs> i'm we're looking talking, at some of it yeah we're, no we're, we're talking tim keller yet yeah. oh yeah what brought out all the arminians tonight <laughs> oh and, and, that too yeah well, and, and the anti-dispensationalists because man they were going crazy okay so we have one day and 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 so one day uh I, i'm gonna say I'd, i i want him to come in sometime when 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 i'm back on the show so we can uh, have a discussion he says why did john calvin want to behead a person in geneva because he was okay. so evil yeah. uh he didn't want evil. to behead anyone actually if you did any kind of study into the history uh it was the law of the land and he did everything he could to save his friend um but his friend was teaching false teaching and and there was a, a death penalty for it he tried to convince him to change his views he refused and so, you know, Calvin, ha being in the position he was, followed the law. And, you know, whether he liked it or not, whether he thought that, that it was fair or not, he followed what the law said, which was his responsibility. So um, when people have to say Calvin wanted to behead him or wanted him killed, yeah. yeah. I don't think Servetus was even beheaded, though. Wasn't he burned? I don't think he was beheaded. But yeah. he um, drowned or something. I think he was burned. Yeah, and right. and so, but it, but it was but Calvin didn't want that. It's clear if you if you end up reading the writings, you know, like the letters that that were written. Um, so, um, this, he didn't have any guy, authority to do anything. I, he was just an advisor, I believe, if I'm mm -hmm. not mistaken, as a pastor. He had no yeah, civil authority. To, yeah, he he had no, but he but he had to. You know, he he basically was on the on the. I guess a, an advisory board and had to 
had to sign with what, you know, like the, the question was, is he teaching false doctrine? The answer was yes. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. Right? So they're saying, see, he signed the death warrant. And, and they're making it as if it was only him signing the death warrant. Well, it's the law that's that said, you know, he, all that he did was say, this is what he's teaching. That's false doctrine. The law took over. And you got to think about how many times that the uh, uh, John Calvin was actually um, – uh, I won't say an enemy of the state, but more, more unwanted person in the state of Geneva. He was more unwanted, uh, as far yeah. as his teaching, his thinking. Um, I mean, even when well, he, he was wanted at first, then he was, was unwanted and kicked out. Then they wanted him back. And then they didn't want him multiple again. times. He, he was very un, uh, unpopular when it came to the, the leadership because he didn't follow their rules as much as they wanted. And, and that's what people, I don't understand when people throw that stuff out. It's like, could you read uh, church history is really a good thing to know. <laughs> yeah. So the same guy says this, Jesus died for all men. However, many choose to reject him or simply suppress the truth to continue in their sin without him. Well, boy, oh boy, people must be really strong because they're just stronger than God. <laughs> um, you know, when you're saying that, you know, God had, you know, to, to argue that is to say that God did every, and this is what, you know, Billy Graham used to preach. God did yep. all he can. Now it's up to you. Well, that makes you the sovereign. You okay, know what's we, so bad about that idea, though? Uh, you have 4,000 uh, 4, plus years, right at 4,000 years before Christ. And Jesus died for every single one of those people that are in hell before Christ. Hmm. I mean, based on that theology, every single person that was ever born from Adam to Christ who died before Christ, uh, died on the cross, they are all in hell, and he still died for them anyway. Yeah. Hmm. Well, okay. Yeah. And then we had some people that don't like uh, – Brad doesn't like dispensationalism, I guess. He says, why did John Darby – make so many fine distinctions and divide scripture where it shouldn't be divided. And then he said, uh, with, with all love, how many dispensationalist folks actually know the history of their system? Well, I would, I would ask the same question, Brad. Um, how many, how many covenant theologian folks realize that their covenant theology is coming from the Catholic church? This is a book from Michael Vlock called Dispensational Hermeneutics. He's my professor, by the way, and and uh, he's been teaching quite a bit about all this stuff. So, and he yeah. deals with every 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 uh, you know every funny? hermeneutical system. Go ahead. So, my, Michael Vlock. Yeah. So, so this is the latest uh, Voice Magazine. It's the publication of the IFCA. Michael Vlock is one of the main ones who wrote in this. I was just. It's funny that that got. I love it. Sitting on my desk, and then I'm looking at it. And as you said, Michael Vlock, I'm looking at his picture, and I was like, oh. yeah, "You both, you both I, picked it up you. at the same time." Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna tell you what, brother. I, he blows my mind. I mean, I love him. Uh, he he's such a tender. Uh, I, I want to point out something just real quick. I don't, uh, John. I don't know. You know, as far as you dispensation or wherever you're at. Okay, and I don't care. Um, I I love you. I think I think the world of you. I think you know you, you're just such a great man of God that, that wants to, to, to care about the word and, and help people to defend the scripture. And, and when I see people that, that come online and all they want to do is attack, they don't want to hear your position. They don't want to hear your discussion. They don't want to hear what you have to say. All they want to do is attack. 
they don't do the work of getting into the depth of what we believe. They, they take a shallow straw man and want to fight. It's like, I mean, I'm reading through, you know, the, the five views of, 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 of hermeneutics and, and, uh, and, you know, for papers that I'm writing and, and I've got, you know, five different opposing views and all of these men love each other. They all respect one another. They, they're all concerned with, okay, you have your view. I have my view. Praise God. Go ahead. Let's we'll debate it. We don't hate each other, you know, and they're also gracious mm-hmm. guys. We got to stop this. You know, there are heretics and there are wolves and we got to realize that. Okay. But to be shallow, to be a straw man uh, type person, it, it doesn't work. It's, it's not, it's not godly. Yeah. So first off, let me, uh, we got, uh, uh, Mary says grateful for John Harris, exclamation point, exclamation point. Would love to have him come speak in Houston, Texas. Well, you know, there's a way you could do that. Um, How was it? You said uh, you if you could put if you could put the banner back up, gotcha, you, brother. Because uh, for his site, but because you created it on the other one. So just go to conversationsthatmatter.org, and that'd be a great place to contact John, so that you can get him to speak in Houston, Texas. So that would be my suggestion, Mary, for what what you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, One day is saying a death penalty for false teaching, question mark. He was burned in Calvin's Geneva. Okay, let's examine this. First off, um, now he first he said he he was hung. Now he's burned. Um, But Calvin's I didn't. So Calvin owned it. (laughs) Calvin had final say when when, this is the thing that happens when people have to resort to, to, to things like that. To, to be like, oh, it's oh, it's all him. You're trying to blame someone for something he didn't actually do. If you actually look at the historical account, he didn't have the authority to stop it. Okay, and yes, there is. There, look, the, when when you had a Roman Catholic Empire, they killed Christians because they called it false teaching. And so, yes, false teaching. When you have a church state as one, they can say that. So. Uh, let me get back to this but before, you know, I was, I was starting with this and I didn't get to finish it. And so people are now questioning because, you know, someone wanted to praise his, his teacher there, his professor. But so I made the comment, covenant theology of the Catholic Church. And Doug is saying, asking with a question mark. So here's the thing. So understand the history. You had the Roman Catholic Church that, that taught a hermeneutical system that was based on spiritualizing the text of Scripture reading into the text of scripture, church tradition. And what ended up happening, so so when we talk about covenant theology, that's that's really historically Roman Catholic. What what most people call covenant theology today is what we would refer to historically as reformed theology. They took the Catholic Church's teaching, they kept much of the hermeneutic except for the reading into it the church traditions, and they had a more reformed view, but they still had the similar hermeneutic of interpreting the scripture in a figurative, spiritualized way. So when I, that's what I meant by that, the, the more the proper term. So it's not a slight on it. It's it's the the reason I brought it up is to say someone's criticizing dispensationalism because of Darby um, or not knowing its its history, um, and yet the person saying that 
may not know the history of their own system. So I say that to say we don't judge the system based upon its founder or its history. We we judge it based upon its teaching. And so if I'm going to judge what we call reform theology or what some refer to as covenantal theology and compared to dispensational theology, I'm not going to compare it to what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. Uh, I'm not going to compare it to, you know, what wackos that believe in covenantal theology. I'm going to take it from the main core teachings. Yeah. And so I would just say, if you're going to try to criticize, and, and I find it interesting, everyone that criticizes dispensationalism likes to pick on Darby because they never want to deal with what mainstream dispensationalism actually teaches today. Yeah. Darby's not around, and, and very few people believe what he, today what he's teaching that teach dispensationalism. So Didn't it, Darby it, kill a guy, though? In, in, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, he that, burned him at the stake well, and then hung. That will justify everything. <laughs> no, but you know the the point. Look, folks, apologetics live. What do we do? Yeah, we t- we answer questions. We deal with apologetic things, but we also want to teach you how to do apologetics. Teach you how to think a little better. Um, not saying we're perfect, but the point is, is when you criticize a a system of thinking that's outside of your own. <clears throat> Don't do the straw man arguments. Don't, you know, don't try to look for the quick win. Try to understand what their position is. You know, when exactly. I wrote my book, What Do They Believe? Right. So I covered Judaism. That's my background. So I understood it a bit, but not to the, the to the level of studying the Talmud that I did. Uh, Catholicism, Islam, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses. But when I studied those, when I wrote those chapters, I went to authorities in each of those religions. And I gave them those chapters to say, am I teaching what is orthodox in your belief system? And not one of them said I was wrong. That's what you need to be able to do. What you need to be able to do is say that I could debate the other side of an argument and do it accurately. So so I can walk in as I did once when I was preaching at a Presbyterian church and someone comes in, he sees me at the pulpit. So after I get done preaching, he comes up to me. He's new. It's his first time there. And he says, I'm new here. You know, I grew up in a Baptist church, but what would this church teach different than what I grew up with on baptism? So I said, well, I'm a Baptist. So right away I'm explaining, I don't believe what that church teaches. But then I went on to explain Presbyterian baptism. And the pastor, when we went to lunch, he's like, you, a Baptist, understand Presbyterian baptism better than anyone in my church. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to do that when you criticize the other side. You have yeah. to be able to argue their argument. Because if you're just going to throw up straw man arguments, the person is going to just throw out what you're saying and just reject it. And, and that's not what you want to do when you're doing apologetics. You want to be able to, to understand the other position. Uh, and just, and that's just the thing a, we really got to work at <clears throat> when we do apologetics. Yeah. Which it it takes something. I'll, I'll be honest. It, it takes something many of us are not good at doing. You got to listen, no. right? You got to listen to what the person's saying. Well, and, and, and that's one thing. We just, just want to say what we how we think they're wrong. Yeah, and just to add to that, John, you came on here, and you didn't go for an attack against Keller. You used his words. And not somebody else's words. You you used his 
you know, what is it that T Keller has taught? And instead of just saying, you know, uh, da, 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 and just going off on a tangent, I, I think you tried to be very level-headed and very, very respectful. I appreciate but, that. But, you know, and I think that was, uh, to me, that's what we have to do, guys. You know, yep. well, you know, it does, I don't care if what you believe when it comes to if you're, you know, your hermeneutical system. But it, like, like Andrew just said, you have to learn to read the best material of a covenant theologian. Read the best material and best thinkers. Go find out what is the absolute pinnacle of, you know, post-millennial teaching and, and then read it and say, okay, what can we affirm? Because what, what I've figured out is every single one of the systems start out with a grammatical, historical, hermeneutic, and whether they stay with that or not, you know, that's, that's the mm -hmm. debate. But everyone I'm a talk, I've talked to, studied, and listened to, they say, well, this is where we got to start. If they're biblical, they start from that uh, point of view. They want to they be consistent, and they want to be honest with the text. Now, they take it from different points, but that doesn't make them our enemies. Yeah. Now, you know, what is the foundation? It's the gospel. You know, and now that's where, you know, John comes in. We say, okay, um, well, does, does Tim Keller or whoever else, do they hold to the gospel? <clears throat> well, there's a problem here. Then there's a problem. Yeah. That is, yeah. and, you know, ahead, I've, 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 I've shared this before because, um, you know, when I was in seminary, I had to take a class on dispensationalism, you know, and, and Justin, you know, this because you, you now have my, one of my professors, right? Yeah. But we had to read both sides of an issue. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I remember reading and I've told this story here before, but it, it's good for repetition, <clears throat> I had, I'm reading a dispensationalist thing. He's saying, you know, <clears throat> the problem with covenantalists, you know, is that they believe in two ways of salvation works in the old and a covenant of works and grace in the new. Uh, but we dispensationalists believe that ever since the fall, it's been by grace alone. And I said, well, I must be dispensational because that's what I believe. So, but then I read a covenant theologian and he says, the problem with dispensationalists is they believe in two ways of salvation works in the old and they quote the the first copy of of Schofield's reference notes and grace in the new but we covenantal theologians believe that ever since the fall it's been by grace alone and i went wait a minute they're both saying the same thing they don't take time yep. to listen to one another and and so that becomes the 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 issue um <clears throat> so Doug is saying many church fathers also had a similar hermeneutic of spiritualizing the text. I agree. <clears throat> I also agree that many of them had a, a literal interpretation for, in fact, the, the, the one that everyone credits for amillennialism, and that'd be Augustine, Augustus, believed in a literal thousand years. He believed he was in it. And that's why so many people can turn to Augustine, both dispensationalists or amillennialists, because he did believe in a literal thousand years. He believed he was in it, and that was the church's position uh, until about a thousand some A.D. I think it was Pope Innocence II that changed that uh, because they said, oops, it passed. Um, Melissa said, I was a dispy long time before I ever heard about Darby. I just read my Bible uh, <clears throat> came to that view entirely on the scriptures. And so Doug says this, um, he said, uh, I agree with understanding the other side 
and debate from that side. I tried to do it with Presbyterian friends on baptism in the spirit, <laughs> in that spirit. Uh, would you all think that Keller is already a false teacher? So I'll start with you, John, your thoughts. Is, is Keller already a false teacher? I mean, I've spent a lot of time with Keller, so I don't expect everyone to jump to this conclusion, but I've come to that conclusion that there's um, a number of teachings that he get, that he advocates that are false, and there's a method to it. It's not that there is a, a certain, um, uh, I guess, that there is an innovative new thing that he's trying to produce based on multiple false teachings so it's he's constructing something and that something i think is a different version of christianity ultimately that's my conclusion because it you end up tinkering with the attributes of god and it's in multiple areas um and i think that's probably the biggest thing for me but it, it affects your soteriology your ecclesiology everything yeah and i you know, I think that I agree with you. I have said for a long time he's a false teacher, and people just torched me for it. But yeah. um, you know, you got to listen to him for for a while. With you know, you know, with you know, Alex. I want to end with Alex's comment, but this comes in well with it. Alex Wright, who who actually is a dear brother, even if I give him a hard time, <laughs> but. Uh, he said, also, in regards to apologetics, you need to put yourself in the uncomfortable position where you could make mistakes. Remember, if they are already unbelievers, they hate Christ. Well, in this case, what it is, is, you know, if you think Keller's right, listen to what he's saying. Go go back and listen to everything. In light of what you've heard tonight, go, go and listen to Conversations That Matter and listen to all those episodes that John did. And then re-listen in light of saying, could I be wrong about Keller? All right, just, just do the homework. Don't, don't just say Keller's right. That's it. Like, because what if he's wrong? What if Keller is a false teacher? And then you're promoting someone that would be against God and his word. That's not a position any of us want to be in. And we don't want to be in there accidentally just because we want to defend someone because we like something they said. And that's usually what it is. These teachers say something they, that we liked, whatever it is, it helped us. And because of that, we don't want to think they could ever do bad. I mean, look, in our camp, let's, let's call it, if someone pointed out that they disagreed with MacArthur, John MacArthur, how many in our camp would be like, no, they just defend MacArthur without even listening to what could be. Are there areas where, where I disagree with MacArthur? Yes. I actually got in, in trouble with a church when I pointed out in, I came to a passage where I disagree with MacArthur's interpretation. How dare you? And I, you yeah, so and I said it, you know? And, and so like, look, we have to be people of the book, yep. right? Not people of the celebrity pastor, hmm. Hmm. right? What, what matters more? Who, whose approval do we really want to have in the end? Tim Keller's, John MacArthur's, or Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. That that's the thing we need to to think through. So, well, John, thanks for coming on again. My pleasure. Go go check out conversations that matter. Uh, check out all the stuff John's doing. Get his books.
you're you're not going to go wrong by by listening and and reading what he, what he's putting out. I see Melissa said she was going to go like half an hour ago, but she just she couldn't bring herself to leave. John she couldn't do it. She couldn't do <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> I thought you would kick me out. I, I was just waiting to be booted out. Oh no, I'm <laughs> not going to kick anyone out. It was good. It, um, it was good to 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 hear all that. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for coming on, Melissa. Oh, so, thank you. <laughs> you know, um, next week, uh, I want to just give a plug. Next week, we're gonna we'll have J- Justin Peters will be on. We're going to be dealing with this open letter to Justin Peters. So basically, what someone's criticizing is Justin made a comment that uh, it is not cessationists that have a low view of the Holy Spirit, but the charismatics that do. And this person is saying that that is uh, divisive and dividing the body of Christ and just really wrong of Justin to say it. Um, <clears throat> he thinks that it was wrong for Justin to say in, in at the cessationist conference uh, that we have men like John MacArthur and Vody Bauckham, John Calvin, you know, Jonathan Edwards, and they have guys like Benny Hinn and John Farm uh, Parker, you know, like all these other knuckleheads. And he's like, that wasn't fair. Well, we're going to address that and, and, and take a look at why Justin said those things and see if that was in context. So I, you're not, you're not going to want to miss that because the guy who, who wrote it, I have invited him on. So we'll see if he'll come on and, and, you know, and, and be able to talk directly with us. And so I, I will say that there's probably a good chance I'm going to reveal something uh, that we haven't uh, made public before, uh, neither Justin nor I, but I think I will make it public. Uh, so I will have that for the next, uh, for next week. So, and then after that, uh, Anthony Silvestro will have, will, will be, I'm going to be out for uh, several weeks, unfortunately. Um, well, not for, unfortunately for me, but for the listening audience. Uh, but Anthony will have, will be talking with a creationist. Uh, and I think it's Andy uh, McIntyre, if I'm not mistaken, or McIntosh. I may have the name wrong. Sorry. McIntosh. McIntosh. Okay. McIntosh. Yeah. And so he'll be on, uh, on the 9th. And then uh, I will be in Tennessee at the Open Air Theology Conference on the 16th, so I won't be able to be here then. And then I'm in Israel for two weeks, and then the week after that I will be in uh, uh, Shepherd's Conference. And then the following week I will be flying to Indiana for a family conference out in Indiana. So (laughs) I won't be back until the 23rd. But what we got together, uh, Anthony... And Justin and I, and what we've decided is the days we know Justin's not going to be able to fill in. Um, and so in the weeks that we're not here, because we know that you guys don't like when we take off, what we're going to do is I'm going to find some old shows and we're going to replay them. So we're going to do some reruns. We think we could have the technology to make that work so that you guys could still tune in and we'll find something that you haven't seen for so long that you go, oh, this seems new. Or maybe you're new to the show and you're going to go, oh, this seems new. And so uh, that's what we plan to do. So uh, until next time, remember to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. And we'll see you next week. See you guys.